and welcome to Pick 6 Movies, the podcast where each season we select six films that are all related to a single theme, and then on each episode we pop the hood of each movie and take a look at the people in front of and behind the camera to try to make sense out of how this movie runs and why it was even made. And then on top of all that, we climb into the driver's seat and take this movie for a spin with a detailed review of the entire film, bumper to bumper, just to see if they're any good. This is season 10, and our theme is Hot Wheels, where we're featuring six movies, all based on cars and, well, all based on cars. This is episode four on the floor, and it's none other than Days of Thunder, starring Tom Cruise and ex-Mrs. Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. And Robert Duvall is here, and on top of that, there's a whole list of actors that show up to really display what it's like to deliver a quality motion picture from a top-notch script that has well-written, well-rounded characters in lots of other movies that aren't Days of Thunder. In this movie, we're really just popping Top Gun and NASCAR into the Brundlefly machine, and what pops out is this unholy abomination of toothy grins, misogyny, roaring engines, and enough fake southern accents to make Tennessee Williams roll his eyes in disgust. And speaking of rolling your eyes in disgust, let's get Mr. Bo Ransdell in here to explain to us just how in the heck this movie got made. Hey, Bo, what say we all sit a spell and give a listen while you spin us a yarn about how this here picture done got did? Take it away, Bo. There was no way we were going to get out of a season all about cars without talking about the big poppy of all racing, NASCAR. Or, if you're in the know like myself, the National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing. But NASCAR, in fact all of stock car racing, required two separate but equally significant ingredients to exist. Without one, it would have been impossible, or taken much longer at any rate, to evolve stock car racing into the national phenomenon it has become. Now the first such invention is the V8 engine. That's right, a big ass burly piece of machinery, the power of which the world had never seen. Named for the 90-degree angle of its banks of cylinders, like eight fingers extending from a bald fist, that is the engine itself. The design lowers the vibration and enhances the power so that, at the time of its invention, the V8 engine was the most powerful engine in the cars of its day. The V8, though, was never designed for cars in the first place. The first V8 was made in France in 1904. I know. Sacrilege for the mother of American racing to be an immigrant to these shores, but she was. The Antoinette engine, as she was called, was intended for racing boats and airplanes, not plain old cars. The 1905 version of the Antoinette resulted in a power-to-weight ratio, that is, how fast the engine can make you go relative to its total weight, that would not be topped for a quarter century. It would be adapted, though, within a few years for personal cars which were still those rickety turn-of-the-century automobiles you think of when you think of old-timey cars. And now a famous name enters our story, Henry Ford. Wizard of industrial automation, inventor of automotive things, against all odds, the same motor car company Ford started way back in 1903, just a year before the V8 was born, still exists today. 
While this is not Henry Ford's story, our real hero has yet to present himself, he plays a central part. Most cars of the day were built with inline four and six cylinder engines. As the name suggests, the cylinders were in a neat row in the engine block, not the angles of the V8, giving it both its telltale name and shape. Henry Ford wanted to adapt the power of the V8 to the commercial vehicles he was designing. So a team formed around Ford, but by all accounts, it was really Ford himself who drove the innovations here. And this period of work on the Ford V8 engine would mark the last time Ford was more than a name on the stationery. He was elbow deep in the refinements and production of the Ford Flathead V8, as it came to be known. The flathead effect was the result of placing the camshaft on top of the engine as opposed to beneath. The other characteristic of the flathead V8 is that these engines ran hot. Without a good cooling system, cracking the engine block was easily managed through basic operation of a vehicle. But if you did have the proper coolant system, there was no faster engine in a car anywhere. Between 1926 and 1932, the Flathead V8 became the preeminent engine of the time. The design was licensed out as late as the 60s in French and Brazilian automobile designs. So if you're doing the math, we have ingredient one of our NASCAR blend, the kind of engine with the power and design to propel a race car. For our second ingredient, let's turn our attention to a home in the foothills of North Carolina in 1935. In bed, the fourth of seven kids, Robert Glenn Johnson Jr., though everyone just called him Jr. At this time, Jr. is only four, and he will bear witness to government agents raiding his family home to confiscate over 7,000 gallons of illegal moonshine. The result of this raid would be another turn in prison for Jr.'s father, who would ultimately spend a third of his 60-odd years on the planet in jail. But the Johnson clan had been in the moonshine business all the way back to the Whiskey Rebellion in the 1700s when protests of a whiskey tax led to one of the first conflicts between the U.S. government and its citizens. The moonshiners lost that round, but the booze never stopped flowing. Junior said later he would have to climb over stacks of bottled moonshine just to reach his bed every night. Even with his father out of the picture, the Johnson family continued its business. When he was old enough, Junior pitched in too, and Junior's entry into the family business meant he was driving V8-equipped trucks of moonshine, using the unique power of the Ford design to blast past cops and anyone else who might want to give chase. Moonshining was part of my growing up, said Junior in a 1990 interview. Being in that business, you had to have a very fast car, and you had to be able to outrun the revenuers or highway patrol or sheriff or whoever tried to pursue you and apprehend you. One other facet of the Ford V8 that was so appealing to those in Junior's line of work was the customizable nature of the engine. You could tweak here and there and get more power out of the thing, so long as you had enough resources to keep the more powerful engine cool. See above regarding blowing the engine if it gets too hot. But Junior never was caught. He got charged with owning an illegal still in the mid-50s, but carrying moonshine across state lines all through the southeast United States? Nope. Junior was too good for that. He was too fast. After the Great Depression and Prohibition and all of that garbage, rural farmers in the South did much care about all the rules the government imposed. They'd seen their share of disaster and poverty, and they just wanted a damn drink. And that's what the moonshiners brought. 
delivered to your town on the backs of souped up four trucks. Here's all the moonshine and whiskey you can handle. Just don't tell the law or the tax folks where it came from. Not just Junior, but hundreds, thousands of men and women were racing through the back roads of the South, delivering daddy's sweet medicine. These brave Americans, doing the Lord's work of getting people hammered, employed some straight-up James Bond tactics. There is evidence for, and this is all true, smoke screens, oil slicks, and buckets of tax being released from the backs of moonshine-laden trucks to elude their pursuers. This is awesome. So in the 30s, when Junior was still a boy, the South saw the first wave of moonshine-related car racing. The moonshine runners realized that they could put their driving skills to the test on local racetracks and fairgrounds, and the locals would come pay to watch these miscreants of the road do some laps in their souped-up cars. Sometimes, there would be thousands of fans coming to watch these races, and when you start to get that much money involved, somebody's got to step in. Now, even though most of the people involved with these races were criminals, and I mean the drivers, the mechanics, the race sponsors, they all had deep ties to the moonshine business. Despite that, one Raymond Parks decided to put together the first racing team. Parks ran away from home at 14 and took up as an apprentice moonshiner. This all sounds so much more fun than my job. Park made a ton of money in moonshining and invested in legal enterprises too, like service stations and particularly stock car racing, which was the name given to these informal fairground races. Park hired a couple of moonshine runners as drivers, Lloyd C. and Roy Hall. C. won the very first big stock car race in Atlanta's Lakewood Speedway in 1938 in front of a crowd of 20,000. In 1941, his teammate, Roy Hall won the National Stock Car Championship. So racing came to a halt for World War II, but when it resumed in 1945, a riot almost ensued when police banned five racers from competing, including the former champion Roy Hall. This may come as a shock, but Roy Hall was arrested for running liquor recently and had lost his license on 16 separate occasions. But thanks to the unruly fans, Hall and his fellow moonshiners were allowed to race, and Hall won. Can you believe it? Upset by the near violence, Atlanta decided not to let the moonshiners race anymore. But a hero of the sport by the name of Bill France recruited the expelled drivers to race in Virginia and the Carolinas. During this same time, our hero, Junior, was just a kid still, still learning the ropes. But we're going to catch up to him in just a minute. Our new friend, Bill France, known as Big Bill to his friends, was not only an organizer, he was a racer. He and a fellow driver raced in and promoted some of the early Daytona races, and he was behind the move to Labor Day for Daytona's big race. After the war and the return of the racing circuits, all unaffiliated and ungoverned, just a collection of semi-regular events really, Big Bill got back behind the wheel and raced 16 events in Daytona over the next couple of years, winning twice and landing top five victories six times. Not too shabby. But France understood that for the tangle of moonshiners and promoters working their own events to ever become something real, it had to organize. It was Big Bill France who gathered the top teams, racers, mechanics, and promoters to Daytona in 1947 to set up standardized rules for the cars and the events. By the time the meeting was done, 
NASCAR was born. The races weren't always winners, though. The events were expensive to host and promote, and it takes time for a new sport to catch fire. Thanks to the deep pockets, money made in illegal alcohol, the sport could continue in the lean early years. In the 1950s, France understood that the wild and wooly moonshining roots of the sport wasn't going to get families in the stands. France pivoted NASCAR away from its outlaw origins and embraced corporate sponsorship, downplaying at every step the criminal enterprises that made NASCAR what it was. By the end of the decade, that early history of NASCAR had been almost entirely whitewashed. But it hadn't lost its moonshiners. Junior raced in NASCAR for the first time in 1955, only a year before, before his arrest for that still of his. Just because Junior was racing didn't mean he wasn't padding his wallet with the family business. In his first year of racing, Junior Johnson won five races and finished sixth overall in the national standings. In the next two years, he would win 11 more, but a win at Daytona on the big super speedway, as they were called, that wouldn't come until 1960. And this, folks, this is the stuff of legend. While prepping for the race, Junior and his crew chief, a guy with the enviable name Ray Fox, were running the car and they had a big problem. Junior Johnson's car was slower than the best one on the track, 22 miles an hour slower. Without an obvious way to increase the car's power, Junior noticed in his runs that if he hung behind a faster car in its slipstream, he could increase the speed of his own car. This technique, later called drafting, enabled Junior's slower car to keep pace and pass objectively faster cars on the track. He won the Daytona 500 using a technique he invented for that race because he had a car that was guaranteed to lose. That is amazing. By the time he wrapped up in 1966, he'd won 50 races, although he never won a major championship. He went on to own his own racing teams, working with some of the best drivers in the sport, the third all-time winningest team as a matter of fact. Naturally, Junior Johnson is one of the most revered racers for his inventiveness and his win. The man who was known to fans as the last American hero has one final step in our story. In 2017, Raymond Parks, the guy we talked about having started the first race team, he was inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame, and in his exhibit, those moonshining roots of NASCAR are on display. Included in that display of criminal relics is a still, the very still Junior Johnson built for himself. And maybe the reason Junior Johnson is the last American hero is that touch of outlaw his wins could never quite erase. All of that leads naturally to another Simpson-Bruckheimer production, this time telling the tale of a rookie NASCAR driver and his impossible journey to Daytona victory. No cool moonshine spy trucks in this one, though. The whole thing was Tom Cruise's idea. He was coming off of Top Gun, a movie in which he played a maverick pilot named Maverick. Say, that's just good writing. He wanted to do a movie about fast cars and the men who raced them. Cruise took off to Charlotte to learn all he could about NASCAR and its characters, 
and there are a lot of real-world analogs in the movie. Cruz was staying near Rick Hendrick, owner of the most winningest racing teams in NASCAR history. Randy Quaid is his film equivalent. Cruz's Cole Trickle was based on Tim Richmond. Rowdy Burns, Michael Rooker in the film, was based on Dale Earnhardt. Robert Duvall's character Harry was based on Harry Hyde, which Hendrick himself would later call, quote, a better Harry Hyde than Harry Hyde ever was. That's just how good an actor Robert Duvall is. Fred Dalton Thompson's Big John is a not-so-thinly-veiled reference to Big Bill France. And the scene where he yells at Rowdy and Cole is based on a real meeting with Bill France, Dale Earnhardt, and Jeff Bodine. Hendrick admitted that much of the movie, written by Chinatown scribe Robert Town, was based on real events. But things were reversed or moved around, changed for Hollywood needs. Tom Cruise brought Nicole Kidman in early to soak in the NASCAR charm, and they were married later that year, so it sounds like she soaked in more than charm. hey oh, Robert Town, the screenwriter, said he had a blast. The thing about it is, he said, they are the greatest storytellers in the world. It was just endless fun. But it wasn't all smiles. A lot of those involved with the production felt betrayed by the portrayal of the sport they loved on the big screen. At the time of its release, driver Alan Kowicki said, I don't think they did us justice. They portrayed us like we're running bumper cars. Big Bill France was pitched directly by Don Simpson, one of the film's producers. He said they would do for NASCAR drivers what Top Gun did for Navy pilots. And Big Bill liked Simpson's style and agreed to the access, part of his continuing effort to expand the sport. They lost their moonshiner image, but now they were looking to shake that redneck image too. But at release, NASCAR's own spokesman released a statement saying, quote, we had hoped for more authenticity. Harry Hyde, upon whom Robert Duvall's character is based, said of the movie, quote, I guess they wanted to show it like it was instead of how it is. I've seen a few less than immaculate shops, but I've never seen a car built in a barn. But what of the film itself? Sure, it may not be authentic, but is it any good? Can Robert Duvall single-handedly save a movie? And is Tom Cruise tall enough to ride a stock car? For these answers and more, let's get my backseat driver, Chad Cooper, in here to open up the hood on this blockbuster of a race car movie. Ladies and gentlemen, coals and trickles, it is 1990's Days of Thunder. Hey everybody, welcome back to uh, Pick 6 Movies. I am Bo Ransdell. With me, the Robert Duvall to my Tom Cruise. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know that that's true. Chad Cooper, how are you, sir? I'm doing good. That makes you the handsome one, but I'm the talented one. You're the brains of the outfit for sure. (laughs) (laughs) But maybe that is true then. Chad, look, we are double dipping. Mm -hmm. Last week, we we gave you the left. We, We hit you with Simpson. This week, uh, we come around with Bruckheimer. That's right. If the left one don't get you, the right one will. That's true of every Simpson Bruckheimer production. (laughs) And so this time we're talking about a legitimate blockbuster superstar summer movie, Days of Thunder. Yes. This is the only movie that we're discussing this season that I saw in the theater. 
And I look, man, I saw a lot of garbage in movie theaters, mostly because I lived about half a mile from one of the two movie theaters in our hometown growing up. Yes. And I remember on top of that immediate viewing in the theater, I have seen this movie multiple, multiple times, Bo. When I was in college, I lived with my older brother in like this government subsidized housing unit. And a lot of his like companions or friends and friends of friends, they would all come over and they would watch sport on TV. And me not being a person who gives two fucks about anything related to sport of any kind, I found myself regularly forced to watch NASCAR on the one and only TV that we had in our government subsidized apartment. And it was during this time I knew that I needed to find a place where I belonged that didn't involve getting drunk and smoking dope and watching cars go round and round and round in a circle over and over and over again. I like NASCAR more at this moment in my life than I ever have. And it's just because I think the history of NASCAR is interesting. I've seen Days of Thunder probably 20 times in my life. And Mm -hmm. on my deathbed, that's really going to be something that I regret. I know that. Do you think that's going to occur to you? Like 18 of those times were superfluous at least. I'm going to let you in on a secret that not many people know about me. I owned the soundtrack to this movie on cassette tape, and I would listen to it when I went on my daily runs. That Coverdale song, The Last Note of Freedom, it haunts me. Those words don't make any sense to me at all. Here I am, a burning man, singing the song of my open soul. Will time pass me? All my dreams of heaven knows. I don't want to be cheated. I can't go on in a world where love's beating. Rise up the burning man. See is the white taken man. Maybe kind of racist there. Days of thunder see me shine. That's the name of the movie, Bo. All of my dreams, it turn out fine. I know the suffering will end. My friend, when the last note of freedom is rung throughout the land, I know the hateful will burn. Again, questionable. When the last note of freedom is heard throughout the land, I know the fear of dying heard from the meltdown blast. I know the Lord have mercy. It soon will pass. I know it, and I don't want to be cheated. I can't go on in a world where love is beaten, where love is defeated, Bo. It's Coverdale. You can't go wrong. It's White Snake. You know, it's amazing. It's America. It's freedom. It's Days of Thunder. I hate NASCAR, but I love this movie for some reason. Folks, that's been Pick Six Movies. We hope you've enjoyed the show. <laughs> it's never going to be that good again. No, it's not. No, I, I really, I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. Like, I don't know that I've seen this movie 20 times, but I've seen it a bunch. But the question is why? I don't give a shit about NASCAR. No. I really don't give a shit about this movie. But for some reason, I'm like, yeah, I've seen this a lot. It feels like a movie that it should come on every year at Christmas. And you're like, oh, yeah, what was on? So I just watched it. And I think that's what happened to me. Like, I would just sit down with my brother and his dope smoking, beer drinking friends. And it's like Days of Thunder is on. Like, all right, well, let's watch this again. And you're just like, God damn, Robert Duvall. He's really, really good. He elevates everything. That is the the secret to this movie. It is what I refer to as the Duvall syndrome, where the movie sucks, 
But mm-hmm. Duvall is so good in every scene he's in. And he's in a bunch of it. Like, the thing this movie gets right that they fucked up and gone in 60 seconds is if you have Robert Duvall, you put him in every scene you possibly can. <laughs> right. And and Days of Thunder does that. He is in, what, 80% of this movie? And because <laughs> of that, 80% of this movie is fucking great. It's, it's real <laughs> sneaky. Let's kick this movie yes. off proper. So... Let's begin. Obviously, we've got a Simpson Bruckheimer logo up top uh-huh. to let you know just what you're in for. That's right. And then some early shots of like a speedway in the morning, Chad. Dude, it's Daytona, USA. Yeah. It's the racetrack of racetracks, Bo. And look, man, 80% of this movie takes place in Daytona, Florida. Right. 15% takes place at a farmhouse in North Carolina, and the rest is spent in confused distress. In a hospital. And <laughs> there are a lot of Confederate flags flying in the infield or whatever it is you call it in the middle of a pit. Dude, when the sun comes up on Daytona to reveal all of the RVs and motorhomes and plastic lawn chairs and lots of what I was going to call like NASCAR fans, but I'm going to defer to the more common phrase used to describe this population, quote, people who didn't vote Hillary 2016. They show the grandstands of Daytona and it's starting to fill up with a whole bunch of never nudist because it is an endless array of short cut denim blue jeans and most of the men in this scene in these scenes they're not wearing shirts and there's just like cigarettes there's a dip in the lip there's one hand on either a bud light or a keystone light or a natural light but i don't know if you know the type of person i'm describing here or not oh yeah it's a baseball cap skip the shirt go right to shorts I like it. And a lot of deep tans that suggest that these are the kind of guys, God bless them, who are spending their days working outside. And they have come to this speedway to get righteously fucked up watching this race. There's one wide shot of the infield that looks like that shit yard from District 9. It just looks like a bunch of garbage that's piled up. The only thing that makes this place recognizable as being on planet Earth as opposed to being in a Star Wars is all of these Confederate flags that you mentioned. They're just flapping in the breeze and you're just like, you know what? We are clearly in the good old US of A. This is 1990s America (laughs) where a Confederate flag is still okay We start to see some of our cast here. And much like uh, the previous episodes gone in 60 seconds, Chad, this is a deep bench of actors. Yeah. I mean, we're talking, uh, not only do you have your Tom Cruises, not only do you have your Robert Duvalls, uh, your Nicole Kidman, Mm -hmm. uh, your Randy Quaid, your Fred Dalton pops in for a second, your Carrie Elways. Who? Uh, Carrie Elways, the (laughs) Princess Bride. He was in Saw. You remember Carrie always, Chad. He was the guy in Saw. What was the doctor uh, who who escaped? Right. He was in Hot Shots. Yes. Famously Hot Shots. (laughs) If I ever meet Carrie always, that's what I'll say. He played the exotic European bank robber on USA Psych. Yeah, that's not a real show. (laughs) If if only that were true, Chad. Talk about your deathbed regrets. 
One thing I like about this movie is how they use the race announcer to really exposit everything that's going on in the movie. And this person is this omniscient, low-rent Bob Euchre. And as the race is happening, he's like, we're here in the presence of racing greats Richard Petty. And I'm like, oh, I've heard of him. And Aldo Bonetti who I'm like, eh, who? And the reason you have never heard of Aldo Bonetti is because this is a character that's being played by movie producer and cocaine aficionado and one of the two people that I personally know of that have died shitting on the toilet, Don Simpson. The guy who pitched Bill Franz, the, the head of NASCAR, <laughs> coked out of his gourd, no doubt. Just like, hey, <laughs> this is going to be great. Are you kidding me? It's NASCAR, man. Those cars go fast. I'm going fast. You're going fast. Everybody's going fast. You know what I'm saying? Doom, I think we can doom, make this a movie. Doom, doom, doom. Oh, my God. I'm going to be a racer. You're going to be a racer. We're all going to be in there. Come on. Come on. It's going to have Tom Cruise. It's going to have Nicole Kidman. You don't know her yet. She was uh, in dead calm. She uh, was on a boat. I think uh, Roddy McDowell was in it. Maybe not. I don't remember. Anyway, race cars, brother. Let's do this. Here we get to meet one of our main characters, Rowdy Burns, who is played by Michael Roker, who some may recognize as Merle Dixon from The Walking Dead, uh-huh. or you may recognize him as I'm Mary Poppins, y'all, from Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, he was also the guy who got the stink palm from Jason Lee and Mallrats. He was also Henry in Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Yeah, I don't like to think about that. It is disturbing. <laughs> There's certain things that I block out. Henry, portrait of a serial killer. There are certain bodies of work that I like to forget, including the entire oeuvre of Harvey Keitel. All of it? Uh, All of it. Well, everything that he shows his dick in, which is everything. Even in Saturn 3, (laughs) you get a sneak peek. (laughs) Another thing that this movie does a couple of times, and it's something I'm going to start doing for myself, they have a lot of stock footage of just racers and uh, the the cars and the, you know, famous drivers and then they just mm-hmm. cut in michael rooker like he's one of one of these people like hey those other folks are real so he's real too and right. I'm, I'm gonna start doing that with like astronauts and then you just see me waving you know where you see that trend which i find troubling is when you're watching a movie and they edit in real news commentators or people that host their own you know cnn or msnbc or fox yeah, yeah. news shows and it feels like it should lend credibility to the movie but what it really does is undermine the credibility of the news organization. Right. Like the first time I remember seeing that was in the movie Dave, where you were like, oh, this is kind of clever. You know, there's Larry King or a, a young Wolf Blitzer, if that's even a real thing or not. Or you saw Oliver Stone in that movie talking about conspiracy theories, and it was kind of like tongue in cheek. But you see that shit more and more. Even with this one, when you see the race car drivers, they're spouting off like, oh, yeah, this is going to be great. You know, Cole Trickle and Doodop Danley, and they're going to do this. When you watch their acting performance, it really comes off as a paging Mr. Herman, Mr. Pee Wee Herman. But uh, that's kind of what I like about it, too, because I I don't (laughs) I think that is probably how they naturally are in interviews. Yeah. And and so the illusion is only shattered when you get to a Michael Rooker and he's just like, yeah, I'll tell you what, I got to really put the pedal in the metal if I'm going to take home Daytona today. It's like you're acting. You're an actor, (laughs) actor, acting, actor. It happens when they bring in Carrie Elway's later, too. Because you're just like, it's like race car driver, race car driver. You're clearly an actor. It will get to that. But so there's this big view of the Daytona Speedway and your your expository announcer gives us the, you know, gentlemen, start your engines. 
you're seeing like, you know, directed by Tony Scott. And it's like, man, this is straight up the Top Gun team. This is the movie they made right after that, which was, I, it's hard to appreciate now how popular Top Gun was. And how much this movie tries to rip it off. Well, that too, but why on earth wouldn't you? To the point of your intro, it was like, we're going to do Top Gun, but with NASCAR. Yes. And it's like, okay, we'll do that. We The race is on. Our first race of the movie. Yeah, I like when the guy drops the green flag to start the race. And I was like, why do you even have a flag dropper in NASCAR races? You know, like this seems sort of obsolete. Sure. It's quaint. Like you might as well have the sexy lady from Tokyo Drift come out in the yeah. middle of the field with a bra. Right. Just dropping her panties or something. Uh-huh. Well, not, I don't mean dropping her panties and taking them off. I mean, she's already removed her panties and she's holding them up and she's dropping them. Winner gets me, boys. <laughs> bra toss. It's kind of like having cheerleaders at any professional sport because I don't think they matter either. I think that cheerleading is the... It's the only sport where the more you advance in the ranks as a professional the less clout you carry in the public eye because in high school if you're a cheerleader you're hot shit all the guys want to get in your pants when you go to college you're like oh i've got a scholarship and i might be on tv every now and again but as a professional cheerleader it's like you you're probably late for instructing your spinning class at la fitness i see for me it it starts at a higher level than that like when you're talking about professional sports like nfl games uh-huh. that have professional cheerleaders on the sidelines i love that you say that but go like, on who are we trying to get horny here is it the players is it the audience who who's who's supposed to have the boner i don't think of it as a catalyst to horniness Calm i'm down. thinking that the crowd doesn't know like are we supposed to be excited should we be rooting on our team let's take our cues from the cheerleaders ladies they say yes boys let's start cheering who showed up in the crowd that was like you know i'm on the fence with this team Wait a second. These pretty ladies and a couple of guys seem to have some interesting points to make. I should get behind them. You know what? Family, let's root for our team. So our NASCAR race is happening in Daytona. Uh huh. And you know what? Let's just cut away from that and go to a farmhouse in North Carolina where we see Randy Quaid, or as I like to call him, Cousin Eddie, mm-hmm. walking on a farm where he meets Robert Duvall, or as I like to call him, Mr. Robert Duvall, and he's spraying his crops with his tractor sprayer thing and cousin eddie shows up and he shouts at robert duvall that he wants duvall to build uh, him a race car and this movie that exposits every plot point throughout the film robert duvall says look cousin eddie you're just a a a small town north carolina car dealer and no driver worth a damn is going to drive for you because you can't afford more than one car and you don't have a driver and cousin eddie says look i got somebody you got to come take a look at him and robert duvall says look cousin eddie i gave up racing for mysterious reasons and you know that and cousin eddie says you didn't give up you quit to avoid the investigation into buddy's crash at daytona where this movie takes place forever and ever but i talked to nascar and if you come back there won't be any investigation and my question to you Bo, is how do you avoid an investigation can you do that without leaving the country Yeah, it seems like if the investigation happened, it would have happened before now, not when he was like, "Uh, hey, I was thinking about reapplying to the job I used to have. And all of a sudden they're like, wait a second, when you quit last time, didn't you kill somebody? Oh, no, that wasn't me. Uh, That was somebody else. Hold on. Get that picture off the wall. 
The one that says investigate this guy at the bottom. Right. This looks a lot like you, mister. Nope. Uh, I, I get that a lot. I do. I get it a lot. But that is not me. Robert Duvall, look, it, he's a national treasure. He is amazing in this movie. We are going to fillet him throughout the episode. And there is a, a bit here when he's having this conversation with Randy Quaid about, you know, this new driver. And Quaid is like, look, you can teach this driver. You know, after he's like, look, any driver you got is too old to be any good and young drivers who ain't worth a shit to begin with. And Quaid's like, no, he's a young guy and you can teach him. And Duvall points to his dog. He goes, you see that dog there? That is the best coon dog I've ever seen or even heard of. And I didn't teach him a damn thing. And Quaid's like, I get it, Robert Duvall. Your folksy charm is actually (laughs) referring to the driver that I'm suggesting. (laughs) <laughs> but I want you to take a look at him. And like you said, he's, you know, arranged for this no investigation. Why not? Yeah. So we cut back to Daytona and it's a different day in the future and it's early morning. And there's a bunch of people watching Rowdy, the guy from Guardians of the Galaxy. And he's driving around real fast in a circle. And then uh, Cousin Eddie is there with Robert Duvall. And Cousin Eddie says, hey, look, I got a driver coming down for Robert Duvall to see. And he's from California. And Robert Duvall says, he's a Yankee. And I'm like, a Yankee? I'm thinking that a Yankee is someone who doesn't reside inside of or below the state of Kentucky and inside and east of the state of Mississippi, but north of the state of Florida. Like, that's people who aren't Yankees. It doesn't mean anyone outside of that group, including people in California. Yeah. I don't, this makes no sense. It's like, if you're not part of our tribe, then you're a Yankee. Right. It is, it is binary. You are either Yankee or non-Yankee. Really? Yes. Remember when Long Duck Dong said, Yankee, my wanky? You know, there are some films, Chad, that you try to block out. And 16 Candles became that for me about eight years ago, where I was like, you know what? Nothing about that movie is good now. It is all it is all kind of gross when you stop and think about it for two seconds. <laughs> Note to us, do that movie. Cousin Eddie does point out here, to your point, he's like, he's not a, a Yankee. He's nothing. And Duvall is like, well, you can say that again. And it's like, zing! Duvall, once again owning the scene and a race car that was spinning around it's it pulls up to a stop it turns out that it was rowdy right uh, who was testing the car and and the car itself is rowdy's he's like i heard this is being used to test out a new driver uh happy to loan you the car who is it and around the corner chad Mm -hmm. enters the hero of our film you mean the colossal asshole of our film the selfish jerk of the movie tom cruise surprise surprise another tom cruise star here on pick six movies (laughs) riding a motorcycle a la top gun because again why would you change it if you don't have to and he comes rolling in vroom vroom against the majesty of this film's soundtrack and he gets off his motorcycle and he's got this bag filled with his helmet and his gloves and i just want to pause for a moment tom cruise apparently as they explain in this movie has been driving on the junior league circuit and he just shows up here and tom cruise he's just this arrogant asshole and nothing about him is humble or respectful he's this 
mulleted dickhead that just deserves a back alley beating. He goes up to Rowdy's car, you know, one of the biggest names in NASCAR, and Tom Cruise acts like Rowdy is this low-level fuck-off that should be kissing Tom Cruise's ass because he's the star of this movie. Yeah, like, immediately, Michael Rooker really isn't down for this. No! He's like, hey, don't I don't want this young prick to take my car out and bang it up, and even Robert Duvall is like, I tell you what, I probably wouldn't let him in my car. <laughs> Duvall says, hey, Tom Cruise, uh, you don't know shit about driving NASCAR, and this may not be a good idea. And then Cousin Eddie comes over and says, hey, look, Robert Duvall, you gotta let Tom Cruise drive the car. And Robert Duvall says, this California city slicker ain't no NASCAR driving razzin' frazzin' frackin' frackin' corn pone southern colloquialism. And then Tom Cruise looks at Robert Duvall and he says, let me drive. I won't make a fool out of you. And I just want to pause here. Mm -hmm. I think that Tom Cruise in the right role is an incredible movie star. And I'm just a jackass yapping about bullshit. He can be so good. And when he delivers this line in the movie, I'm just like, you know what? He's not going to make a fool out of you, Robert Duvall. You should let him drive. He won't. I can vouch for Tom Cruise, even though he's all wrapped up in that Scientology nonsense. You know, Robert Duvall, did you did you see that documentary where he talked about LRH and he raised his hand in submissive allegiance to that painting? Look, Tom Cruise is batshit crazy. That's a given. But I'm telling you, he's going to drive this car and he's going to go fast in a circle. He's not going to make a fool out of you. Just give him a chance, Robert Duvall. Give him a chance. And to that, Robert Duvall says, that tunnel turns real tricky. I want you to take it easy out there. There are two or three scenes in this movie with Tom Cruise and Robert Duvall that are as good as any scene in any movie you're going to see with either one of those actors. Yeah. They're just that good at doing what they do. It's just that the source material and the characters are shitty, but they really make the best of it. Yeah. So, so Tom Cruise takes the car out. And he Mm -hmm. says, Harry, I'm going to drop the hammer. No, you're not. But he's much like Top Gun Chad. He's a maverick. Mm -hmm. And so then he drives really fast and everybody on the the sidelines or whatever it is you call it in NASCAR smiles. (laughs) (laughs) And then Duvall checks the time. He was faster than Roddy. Beat him by two seconds. He gets the the official time from a young Margot Martindale who Mm -hmm. has a blink and you'll miss it cameo in this movie. Uh, She is probably most famous, Chad, uh, and and, and came to prominence for playing the the protagonist in season two of Justified. Now, I'm not sure if if you've ever ever seen the show Justified, Chad, uh, but it's it's quite good. I watched the entire series and then... As soon as I got done, that was, remember when I fell and I bonked my head and I forgot everything? <laughs> when the coconut, yeah, it fell on Right. You. It hit my head, uh-huh. and so I don't remember any of it. You don't see purple anymore. I but I can taste it. Yeah, which is weird. Tom Cruise then, it turns out, it like you said, is faster than Rowdy, and Duvall says, oh, he should just crash that car instead. What a charmer. <laughs> when Tom Cruise pulls back into the pit, we get to meet a very, very young John C. Riley. Oh, as a member of, is he a member of Rowdy's pit crew? No, no, no. He's with Duvall because he is with him from then uh, on. No, he's the son of the dude that Robert Duvall was accused of killing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's basically, he's just he's just paying a debt that's due. Right, he's got some Klingon blood oath that he has sworn <laughs> to, to Robert Duvall. Well, you know what they say. This is Kavakak. Look, son, I killed your pappy, so that makes you my son. So 
Let's drink moonshine, and we're going to go race cars. Technically, I own you. My, uh, You are uh, n- not not on paper a slave, but a slave. Indentured servant is what we like to call them around here. My father used to call it itinerant, and that's that's what you are. You're, you're itinerant, which means I own you. Michael Rooker is like, you know, you drive pretty good, but... Now get your own damn car. Is that Rowdy? Yeah, sorry, Rowdy. No, I don't know these people. And then Robert Duvall <laughs> says, you're lucky you didn't skid in a tunnel. And Tom Cruise goes, well, I'll tell you, if it was lucky, let me do it again, old man. I'll do it right fucking now. I don't care. So Robert Duvall is like, hey, so you're some big fancy open wheel racing winner. What happened? Tom Cruise is like, I lost my ride. And he's like, well, that sounds mysterious. Uh, let me introduce you to uh, another subplot that is also mysterious involving Buddy. Uh, that is John Riley's father. We'll get to that here in about 45 minutes in Act 2. He was my daddy. He died on this racetrack right over there. You can still see the blood on the wall, but I don't like to talk about that. The, Tom Cruise, his philosophy is, I have come to NASCAR because I want to compete in an equal sport. All the cars weigh the same, have the same power, theoretically. He just doesn't want to be beat by other drivers. And he, he tells uh, Robert Duvall, if you build me a car, I'll win Daytona next year. Right, because that's where our movie all takes place in Daytona. Right, like you said, 85% Daytona, 10% farm, 5% other. Speaking of farm. Let's go to the barn out in the country. That's this somewhat state-of-the-art kind of garage. And Robert Duvall is talking to this metal framework of a car. And here we get one of those scenes in a car movie where someone talks to an inanimate object in this philosophical, spiritual way that's meant to connect man and machine. And I'm thinking, if I walked in and I saw this in real life, I would immediately call for a family intervention. You would just assume he was drunk off his ass. You know, where he's like leaning against the frames. I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you a streamline. So you pick up an extra mile an hour on the turns. He's talking to the car. Also, I've been able to achieve an erection with my wife. Do you and have power of attorney? I don't know. Eight years. Going on eight years now. I haven't been able to sexually satisfy you, myself or others. the pin number for his bank accounts. I mean, really. I'm really starting to believe that my family is plotting against me, trying to work their their nefarious schemes. We need to get handcuffs for him in his bed at night. Nope. <laughs> there I go. I peed myself. Well, let's call it a night car frame. <laughs> I'll talk to you in the morning. <laughs> so Robert Duvall and his team, they build this NASCAR and it's real elegant and the whole scene is inspiring and the music crescendos until there's a completed automobile that's adorned with yellow and green paint and the name Cole Trickle. <laughs> Because that is Tom Cruise's name in this movie, Bo. Yeah. Cole Trickle. But then you hear actual NASCAR driver names, and you're like, well, it's not crazy. Well, there was a real NASCAR driver named Dick Trickle, which is an unfortunate name. (laughs) It's a hundred times worse than Cole Trickle. It sounds like the mascot for a venereal disease prevention program. You know, it's like, hey, kids, let's learn more about gonorrhea from our friend Dick Trickle. Hey, kids, does it burn when you pee? If I were doing the other side of that invention exchange, the cold trickle would be sort of those hamster water bottles filled with coleslaw that you could have at your office desk and just look over and get coleslaw anytime you wanted. The cold trickle. Do you think that cold trickle would be a good porno app? 
actor name. Like, it would maybe reflect his persona as well as his signature move. No, I think trickle is too is too weak. A flaccid a word, for lack of a better mm-hmm. term. Like, if it were coal eruption, now you got a porn name. But cold trickle sounds like coal emasculation. You know, Tom Cruise has really played a wide range of characters throughout his career. From pilot to car pilot. But there's also been a wide variety of NASCAR racers who have names that might be porno actors. And you know, Bo, that sounds like a forced setup of a Pick 6 Movies quiz. Are you ready, Bo? Because I've put together a little game I like to call Tom Cruise Character or NASCAR Porno Name. You are going to tell me whether or not the name that I give you is a character that Tom Cruise has played in a major motion picture, or if it is the name of a real NASCAR driver whose name sounds like a porno actor. Are you ready, Bo? Yes, I think I understand the the Byzantine rules now. You will either say Tom Cruise character uh-huh. or NASCAR porno name. I gotcha. And here we go. Uh-huh. In three, two, one. Ethan Hunt. Tom Cruise. Fireball Roberts. Porno name. Les Grossman. Tom Cruise. Jimmy Johnson. <laughs> porno name. Charlie Babbitt. Oh, Tom Cruise. Danica Patrick. Oh, definitely a porno name. Joel Goodson. Uh, porno name? Risky business. Uh. Kyle Bush. Oh, uh, porno name for sure. Stacy Jacks. Tom Cruise. Rock of Ages. Yeah. Buck Baker. Uh, uh, porno name. Daniel Caffey. Big erect uh, penis. Tom Cruise. <laughs> Correct. Ricky Rudd. Uh, uh, porno name. Jack Reacher. Oh, Tom Cruise. Jack Reach Around. <laughs> porno name. Harry Gant. Oh, uh, Tom Cruise. Eh, NASCAR porno. Uh, Nick Morton. Uh, uh, Tom Cruise. Junior Johnson. Oh, Junior Johnson. Uh, of course, NASCAR. Uh, porno Junior name. Samples. <laughs> Neither. Right. He was a simpleton from Hee Haw. <laughs> yes. Ron Kovic. Oh, that's uh, Big Erect Penis. That's Tom Cruise. Glenn Wood. Glenn Wood? NASCAR porno name. Correct. Brian Flanagan. Tom Cruise? Yes, Cocktail. Tiny Lund. Porno name? Yes. Mitch McDeer. Oh, Tom Cruise. And finally, Stroker Ace. Albert Reynolds. <laughs> That's right, from season one. Yeah. Episode two of Pick Six Movies. Bo, you got everyone right, except for the one you didn't, or maybe two. I wasn't keeping score at all. Fantastic. Yeah, thank you. I The reason I did so well is because I know more Tom Cruise movies than I should. <laughs> I realized that as you were saying. I was like, why do I know <laughs> Mitch McDeer is his character from The Firm? <laughs> That is stupid. (laughs) However you want to play the game. Hey, let's get back to our movie. Robert Duvall has built this yellow and green car, and it's like a real deal NASCAR automobile in Phoenix, Arizona. And look, I don't know anything about how sport works, especially the sport of NASCAR. But in my heart of hearts, Bo, I don't think that any jackass can just show up and get into NASCAR. Right? This plot feels more like it's in the neighborhood of Rookie of the Year or Air Bud or something that is like, I don't know, more akin to insert serious NASCAR themed movie that has never been made here. This doesn't make any sense at all. In fact, shit, in my opinion, the best NASCAR themed movie that's ever been made is Disney's Pixar's Cars. What would be behind that? What's what is a better NASCAR movie? Six Pack with Kenny Rogers, Talladega Nights, this? I mean, this is pretty good. Relatively speaking, this is a NASCAR movie for idiots like me. 
that don't really understand racing. Over here, waitress. I mean, it's real dumb and it's wrong, but it's right for what I understand. It's just smart enough (laughs) for me because I'm not very smart. When Tom Cruise gets in his first big boy NASCAR race, Rowdy comes up behind him and Tom Cruise learns the first rule of NASCAR racing, Bo, which is what? Robinson is racing. Yep. As give me some loving plays. Oh my God, dude. It is. Holy shit. There's this bump and Tom Cruise is like, he hit me, Harry. And he's like, no, no, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't hit you. He didn't smack you. He didn't bump you. He didn't spank you. He didn't poke you. He didn't probe you. You know, he didn't diddle you. He didn't suck you. It's called rubbing. Rubbing is racing. Tom Cruise. Do you understand that? That's how it works. And he's like, what are we talking about here? Yeah. And what is time again? And Duval, <laughs> Duval's watching him go around the, the track and he's like hitting the wall and he's bouncing into other cars. Mm-hmm. And the whole, the gag is that every time this happens, Duval is like, oh, there, there's a quarter panel we're going to have to replace. Oh, there's the rear. And here's, here's a, a funny joke, Chad. So Tom Cruise finally pits. Uh-huh. Which is is racing lingo for pulling off the track into the pit for repairs. For listeners, you know. <laughs> this is a funny joke. Rubber Duval goes up up to the window and he goes, Now, Cole, when you get back out on that track, I want you to hit the pace car. The pace car? That's right. I want you to hit the pace car. Why would I hit the pace car? Because you hit every other goddamn thing on that track. I want you to be perfect. It's a funny joke. It's a good it's gag. so great. And, and again, this is why this movie is eminently give watchable. Give me some lovin'. Give me, give me some right. lovin'. Give me some lovin'. Hands up. Do, 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 do. Slamming into the do, wall. Do, 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 spinning do, do. out. Duval is throwing his hat down in, in the pit. There's a point where they, they finally get the car into the pit. And John C. Riley is like, well, how about that? A side we don't have to fix. And Robert Duval walks around that side and just kicks it. And he goes, mm-hmm. I don't want you to get spoiled. So good. I love Robert Duvall when he's angry. I like him when he's wistful. I like him when he's drunk. He's great in this whole movie. During this montage, they go to quite a few different racetracks. Like one of the ones they go to is in Bristol, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And Tom Cruise and Rowdy, they're kind of racing around. They're smashing into one another. And really what you learn is that Tom Cruise is not a very good driver. And I want to ask you, Bo, did I ever tell you about one of the few times in my life that I sold my soul to the devil? And that it involved NASCAR in Bristol, Tennessee? <laughs> no, but please go on. When I was in college, I dated this girl who had the inside track on what they called talent acquisition to go and work special events. And I went to the Bristol racetrack and I handed out free cigarettes for the RJ Reynolds company. So if you walked up and you were a smoker of an RJ Reynolds product, you got one free pack of cigarettes. But if you came up and you had a package that was of a different brand or company, if you would give me your pack of cigarettes with it at least one cigarette in it, I would give you two packs of cigarettes from an RJ rental brand of your choice. And I got paid $300 a day. I did it for two days. And every time I handed over free cigarettes to these NASCAR fans, just a tiny piece of me died inside every single time. I don't know that I knew that story. And now I don't know if you're going to go to heaven. I don't think that I am. It was like for 600 bucks. And I'm like, well, what are you going to do? It's weird. When I comb my hair in the mirror now, all I can see is the brush moving. (laughs) Weird, but uh, not unexpected. (laughs) Let's get back to our movie. Because in this montage, we go through and and we go to Dover, Delaware, which, hey, you know who's from Delaware, Bo? Joe Biden. Yeah, he sure is. 
Joe Biden and I share the same birthday, as well as Bo Derek and Richard Dawson. And three out of four of those people have all been featured on this podcast. And uh, four out of those four people are never going to be president. So give me some love and is still playing. Uh-huh. And Tom Cruise is driving around and he pulls into pit. And at one point he crashes into another car and it's kind of played off as being funny but with a little bit of objectivity i think tom cruise is really an asshole that's what the whole movie hinges on is he's afraid of hitting cars and he kind of does it brazenly up front where he's just like fuck you if they pulled him over and he blew like 0.18 he could not drive any more foolish or aggressively I 100% agree with it. In this montage, they're now at Rockingham, North Carolina, and Rowdy is smashing into Tom Cruise, and Tom Cruise radios his pit crew and tells Robert Duvall, I need to come into pit. And then Robert Duvall says, you can't come into pit, Tom Cruise, because we're eating ice cream. And he's like, you're eating what? Yeah, we're eating ice cream. And then he zooms by, and they're eating like brown cows or something. <laughs> it's real disrespectful, uh-huh. no matter which side you're on. It's a real jerk move by Duval, but also, again, quite funny. <laughs> Tom Cruise finally pits anyway and just comes out of the car to fight Robert Duval. <laughs> and Robert Duval is just laughing at uh-huh. Tom Cruise running around with an ice cream on a stick like, oh, I was in The Godfather. I mean, I'm nominated for multiple Academy Awards, Tom Cruise. I'm just a hair away from making The Apostle a masterpiece. <laughs> Come get me, Tom Cruise. Come chase me. Come chase Robert Duvall. (laughs) In the garage after all this, Cousin Eddie shows up Uh and is like, (laughs) Chad. Uh, (laughs) Please do the honors. He says, you know how much you guys screwed up this past Sunday? (laughs) You ended up looking like a monkey fucking a football out there. (laughs) And I could not be happier then or now from the first time I heard it to today. It is one of my favorite. When I learned, Chad, recently, (laughs) David Lynch did a short film released on Netflix called What Did Jack Do? That is a short film in which David Lynch, as a detective, questions a monkey about a murder. (laughs) And it's one of the greatest things that's ever happened. And on that same list is hearing (laughs) Randy Quaid say, we look like a monkey fucking a football. I love it. And then he ends up sending everybody out of the room. He's like, get out of here. Not you, Robert Duvall. Not you, Tom Cruise. He's like, the first thing we need to do is finish a race. And immediately Tom Cruise, because he's an asshole in this movie, is just like, well, car's a piece of shit. You know, Robert Duvall's an old man. He does old man shit. He keeps asking me to fix his VCR clock and not fixing the car. And Robert Duvall's like, well, you keep blowing up the engines, Colt. So it's it's my fault that the tires blow out. And Duvall says like, well, hell yeah. 40 other vultures out there that manage to finish on their tires. You see Daryl Waltrip blowing out his tires? And Tom Cruise like says, there's nothing I can't do with a race car. And I'm like, there's nothing? <laughs> what does that mean? You know, sex stuff. Duvall says, I can't work with a bitch." So Tom Cruise storms off. And then in, in this movie, Tom Cruise, first off, he's tiny to begin with. But in this movie, he's really tiny. Yes. Because in some films, they can hide how short he is, but they can't do that in this movie. Because Randy Quaid, a.k.a. Cousin Eddie, he is six foot five in real life. And Nicole Kidman is pretty tall, too. She's 5'11". Yeah. Duvall is 5'9". Yeah. 
In this scene where Tom Cruise storms off and Cousin Eddie is standing up, it looks like Gandalf next to Frodo. He's like barely comes up to his belt buckle when he's like, that's it. I'm out of here. <laughs> Listen, if I could reach your chin, I'd give you what for? Bestie's going to punch him in the dick and run off. <laughs> Kicks him in the shin and scurries off his little Bites legs. him on the ankle. <laughs> he goes, goes into a hole in the baseboard. And what's funny in this movie is that they really puff up Tom Cruise's hair like a good two, three inches yeah. to make him look taller than he really is. It's the same stats as Erwin M. Fletcher in, in when he played in the NBA, you know, with <laughs> Afro 6'8". You just keep expecting like for every scene to be, especially when he gets angry, for Duvall to give that like folksy chuckle and just, <laughs> that is adorable. Look <laughs> Look at him get so worked up. I'm going to get one for my granddaughter. She would love one of these. Sweetheart, would you like a Christmas cruise this year? Yes, Daddy. We're going to put a cruise on the shelf. It is <laughs> it is going to watch over our Christmas tree. And come Christmas morning, we'll give it some cookies. So Tom Cruise storms off and he's gone. So it's left with Cousin Eddie and Robert Duvall. And Cousin Eddie says, can he drive? And Robert Duvall says, he can drive beyond the limits of the tires of the car, that bitch. If he would just listen to me, we would never lose a race. And then Cousin Eddie says, if Tom Cruise doesn't trust you, then something, something, something inspiring, blah, blah, blah. Right. You need to go talk to him, Robert Duvall. Theme of the movie coming up. So the, Robert Duvall follows him to this country bar. It's a honky tonk. Uh, yeah, it is a, a straight up honky tonk. Is honky a racist epithet? I don't think so. I mean, it is at its best. In National Lampoon's Vacation, remember when that gang spray paints honky lips in black paint on the right side of the family truckster? Remember that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you don't hear it often, but a good up yours honky really does me good. <laughs> I wish I heard it more. Not directed <laughs> at me necessarily, but not not directed at me. You don't see a lot of non-white people in honky tonks. You notice that? That's what I think what it means is tonk is Gaelic for welcome here. I've never used the word honky in day-to-day -day life outside of discussing the etymology of that word. Like we're having now. Or discussion of the uh, Richard Pryor sketch on SNL. Then that takes a real hard left turn where we start talking about other words that we're not going to... Yeah, right. fair enough, fair enough. Because we're honkies. So Robert Duvall finds him at the honky-tonk, um, which now you've learned something, listeners, what that honky-tonk really means. And he he says, We gotta talk, Tom Cruise. The crew needs to know what's happening in the car, Cole. If it's running loose, let me know. We'll turn a wedge. We'll do what it takes to run the car right. Yeah, and Tom Cruise is like, Hey, I don't know what that any of that means. When he leaned in and says, I don't know anything about cars, there was part of me that thought he's about to say, I'm illiterate <laughs> yes. or I'm dyslexic. I can't read. I thought it was a real Frankie and Johnny scenario we were about to get into. <laughs> Robert Duvall says, what do you mean you don't know anything about cars? And Tom Cruise says, I don't know what you mean about turning a wedge here. I don't know. They told me to get in the car and drive. And that's what I did. But I'm an idiot. And I don't have the vocabulary. And Duvall says, that is adorable. And also, we're going to have to figure out a vocabulary. 
Bo, do do you know very much about cars? No, no. I learned so much doing research for this. I learned more (laughs) about cars in that period than I've ever known. Do you know much about the racing vocabulary used by pit crews and drivers? No, nothing. Well, then, Bo, you're kind of screwed because I have a special quiz coming up for you right now. A bonus quiz in a little game that I like to call Them's is Racing Words or Maybe It's Sex Talk. <laughs> oh, I love this already. I'm going to give you a phrase and you have to tell me whether or not this term is used by a pit crew when talking to a driver or if it is a sexual euphemism used to describe the pleasures of the flesh. Got it. You got it? Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you a phrase. If it is a racing term, you'll say racing words. If it's something kind of naughty, you're going to say sex talk. Are you ready, bud? Yes, I'm ready. Impact play. Sex stuff. That's right. That's spanking. Mm -hmm. Downforce. Uh, NASCAR. That's accelerating on straight stretches. Watergate. NASCAR. That's a wet vagina. Pole position. (laughs) That's definitely NASCAR. Right. Pecking order of cars. Cleaning up the kitchen. That's NASCAR. No, that's licking an asshole before <laughs> penetration. Driving into the corner. NASCAR. Right. That's when the car isn't performing how they want it to. Uh, Etch a sketch. Sex stuff? Playing with both nipples at the same time, or for the greatest generation, it was known as Tune in Tokyo. Right. Well, I didn't realize that had been updated, but go on. Round of wedge. Oh, that's NASCAR. It is. A way of making adjustments, utilizing the car's springs. Fusty lugs. Fusty lugs. That I mean, sex stuff? It is. That's an old term for a disgusting slut. Short pit. Oh, that's NASCAR. Right. When you have to pit before, you really need to. Mm-hmm. The loop-de-loop. <laughs> I feel like we've all had the old loop-de-loop at one time uh, or another. Uh, sex stuff. Right. Uh, mutual oral sex, or it's more commonly known, the good old 69. Side drafting. Uh, NASCAR. That's right. When a car races alongside another car and dumps airflow, null the void. Oh, I mean, that's got to be sex stuff. That's butt stuff. It is. It's masturbating. Oh. Splitter. I mean, I feel like that's sex stuff. No, it's the part of the car in the front that the downward force is used for airflow in the car. The Western patio. Sex stuff? Flat ass. You're right. A spoiler. Um, A spoiler is NASCAR. It is. It's the metal blade in the back of the car that restricts airflow to the rear of the car, providing more traction. How about a hasbian? Uh, I'd like a spelling, please. H-A-S-B-I-A-N. Uh, sex stuff. It is. That's an ex-lesbian. How about a tapered spacer? <laughs> That's NASCAR. You're right. It's the metal piece that limits how much air gets to the engine cylinder. How about a flycatcher? Uh, that would be sex stuff. Correct. Vagina. How about a wave around? The sex stuff. Racing words. How about a reach around? Definitely sex stuff. How about a rusty Wallace? That is a NASCAR name. How about a rusty trombone? That's sex stuff. How about a Dale Earnhardt? That's both. How about a, a Dale Earnhardt on? That's what I've got right now. How about a Richard Petty? Uh, that is a NASCAR. How about a Richard Heavy Petting? That's what got me thrown out of prom. And lastly, good old-fashioned anal sex? Uh, NASCAR. That's right. It is a racing term where two male NASCAR drivers have penetrating intercourse, primarily using butt stuff. Also how you end up with a cold trickle. So let's get back to our movie. Yes, please. Where Robert Duvall is now teaching Tom Cruise racing terms as Tom Cruise drives around the track. And Robert Duvall, he kind of schools Tom Cruise on how tires win races. And Robert Duvall says, you run 50 laps your way and 50 laps my way and we'll see who's better. And Bo. 
Yeah. You are not going to believe it. Robert Duvall's way is better. Well, he tells him when he pulls in, he says, see, in Indy, tires were twice as wide and a car weighed half as much. Okay. You're getting the tires hot, which makes them right. greasy mm-hmm. and you're out of control. Oh, oh, I know that. And finally, I'm like, this movie's getting sexy. So you're going to take that grease coal, rub it all over your backside. <laughs> so Randy Quaid shows up while Tom Cruise is making this run. And, and when he gets done, he's like, look, your tires, my tires. And, you know, That's his right. tires are good. And he was like, and I was faster on time. It's a real paint the fence, wax the car, sand the floor moment. It does the job of, of like Tom Cruise beginning to trust Duvall in the film, which is the whole point of this. Right. And so he's like, look, what I tell you is true and you're going to be faster now. And then we've got a big race day. There's like the crew is huddled around the car in the pit on race day. Yeah. We're in Darlington, North Carolina now. Yeah, and Tom Cruise is like, hey, what's wrong? And Cousin Eddie is like, you know, we're trying to figure out what to do. And they're over a second off the pace car, which means car things, and they have to go faster. Nothing. Who cares? (laughs) Right. And Tom Cruise then sticks up and he's like, Robert Duvall built a perfect car. It's going to be great. They they let him know, like, you got to watch the turn four. Cole, that is a, a beast. In this scene, we get another moment where the race announcer just narrates everything that's happening in the movie. Because in this scene, he's like, we're at Darlington Motor Speedway, where the most treacherous turn is turn number four, or as it's called by some, the Widowmaker, or Dead Man's Curve, Fatal No Traction, the Terminator, Chitty Chitty Smash Bang, the Devil's Doorway, the Expressway to Discovering What Happens When You Die, Car Carnage Curve, the Suicide Stride, the James Dean Driveway, Paul Walker Boulevard. Wait, who's Paul Walker? Wait, the Fast and the What? A movie franchise in a couple of decades? What kind of future man are you? And how did you get into the announcer's booth? Get out of here! The suspense in this movie is completely expressed in dialogue. Every single race, you don't know what's going on until either Robert Duvall or Tom Cruise says something like, Tom Cruise, you're in fifth place, you gotta go faster. And then Tom Cruise is like, I'm right behind the leader now, Robert Duvall. I'm gonna win the race. And you're like, I guess he's behind the leader and he's gonna win the race? I I don't know. Yeah, and I think that's one of the big problems with this movie. I think you're absolutely right that one of the least interesting things about this NASCAR movie is the NASCAR stuff <laughs> like you said it's just tom cruise in in a car seat wiggling his hands and going i'm in second place harry <laughs> that's it yeah that's a lot of it yeah and so it's not that exciting the stuff that's really good in the movie is all the the personal interaction stuff you mean like most good movies <laughs> character <laughs> development story arc uh, characters evolving and growing and learning and doing more as opposed to <laughs> I, again that's the problem is that like with top gun fighter jets like swimming around each other in the air and firing missiles at each other is pretty thrilling whereas nascar is, like you said is, is a bit of very fast traffic so <laughs> during this race, Tom Cruise moves into first place and then the caution flag comes out. That's the yellow one, Bo. Mm-hmm. And it's waved and everybody has to go into the pit. And while they're in the pit, an air gun jams and Tom Cruise loses his lead. And Tom Cruise, he's not real happy about this. And he starts cursing a whole lot. And he tells the audience, I came into the pit first place and I'm leaving out and I'm in th- third place and then robert duvall says hey tom cruise you can win this race we put some special magical tires on your car for you
you and you can go to the outside curve on Deathly Hollow Highway. I mean, terrifically safe turn number four. Oh boy, magic tires. Tom Cruise says, I trust you, Harry. I'm definitely going to win. <laughs> And see, Tobo, they're trusting each other. Yeah. Except for the fact that Robert Duvall is totally lying to Tom Cruise because they're not magical tires. It's all bullshit and he's probably going to die here. But spoilers, he doesn't die. And so Tom Cruise takes Robert Duvall's bullshit advice and he drives through this crash and dumb luck. uh, He, you know, uses his pinball wizard skills of driving and Tom Cruise wins the race. Hooray! Music swells and everybody hugs and the movie's over. Yeah. And in victory lane, a reporter comes up and says, Tom Cruise. How did you know you could make it through? You're definitely going to die turn number four. And then Tom Cruise says, Well, you know, my good friend Robert Duvall here put special tires on my car, and he told me I could definitely make it. (laughs) They looked at Robert Duvall, and he's like, Well, nothing special about these tires. Just regular old tires you put on a car in NASCAR. And Tom Cruise is like, What? And he says, Well, you're acting like a candy ass, and I had to calm you down. (laughs) and then randy quaid hugs them both and is like no matter what happens from here promise me we'll win daytona boys aren't we in daytona isn't this whole movie at daytona like i I don't know where we are the suburbs of daytona (laughs) and so on a bus at sundown we catch up to robert duvall drinking you know good for him they're on an 18 wheeler yeah they're in the trailer with the car and some sort of sitting area and they're getting drunk on moonshine and budweiser beer because what else would you get drunk on in a nascar movie absolutely i was just glad that the the moonshine they were drinking came out of mason jars and wasn't on a jug with three little x's scribbled on the outside that they later play as part ooh, of their jug band ooh, 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 ooh. yeah and they're kind of talking about like why are they all in this truck together Mm-hmm. And Duvall uh, is like, I'm in this spot because of some bad stocks. And uh, Tom Cruise is like, I worked for a guy who was a crook. He went to jail on junk bonds or something. Duvall says, well, now you don't have to worry about that low-life piece of trash. And Tom Cruise, unsurprisingly, says, mm-hmm. hey, that piece of trash was my father. And then he bitches about it. He's like, hey, you lied to me about the tires. And <laughs> Tom Cruise is like, I, I had to punch you right in the face. So he says... I had to punch you out. And I'm like, punch you out? That sounds like the kind of thing that Popeye would say, you know? <laughs> like, I, 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 I'm going to punch you out. Where's me Olive? Like, you're going to punch him out? Yes. Who says that? Nobody that's ever really beaten anybody up ever has said, I ought to just punch you out, mister. Well, and Duvall immediately calls him on. He's like, how about you uh, take a shot? And immediately Tom Cruise backs out. He's like, well, I don't want to get my ass kicked by a 50-year-old. And you're like, right. Then Duvall proceeds to just basically manhandle him. <laughs> and these two start wrestling around in this tiny cabin of this trailer. And there's a young John C. Riley and some nameless woman just watching on as this old man and Tom Cruise play grab ass. And I'm like, is somebody's pants about to come off? I don't know what's going to happen. Are they going to kiss? No, Duvall is just going to alpha him completely where it's like, no, I want you to watch while I mount him he is now my bitch i i'm gonna pull out my pocket here i want you to hang on to that when i go walking it's not full-on broke back mountain but there was a moment where i thought are we about to take a turn down van sant street it could have gone that direction for sure and but finally they settle and they're just laughing after all the grabassery right duvall says tom cruise look i knew you could do it you're the best dang driver in the whole dang world 
And then John C. Riley, who's sitting off to the side, just kind of strumming a guitar the way that simpletons do. And in the background of this scene, there's a TV that appears to be playing world's greatest NASCAR crashers, bloopers, and blunders. And John C. Riley says, now there's calculating drivers and there's kamikaze drivers. And Tom Cruise here, he's a kamikaze driver like my pappy was. I'm like, your pappy? Shit, the only person I know who's ever used the term pappy again was Popeye from Poop Deck Pappy. But But Tom Cruise hears that John C. Riley says that his dad was a kamikaze driver. And Tom Cruise says, who was your dad? And John C. Riley says, Buddy Bretherton. He died last year at Daytona. And I'm thinking, how does Tom Cruise not know that John C. Riley is the son of the man who died racing at Daytona the previous year? That is inconceivable. No, no, because he he said from jump, he was like, I don't know, really. I've watched a little NASCAR on ESPN. Come on, man. That's just fucking stupid. <laughs> Perhaps so, but he, he admitted in like two scenes ago, he's like, hey, Harry, I'm a dumbass. I don't know much or pay much attention. I'm easily led. Let's play along with the movie. Because here Tom Cruise says, So, how did your father die? If you don't mind me opening up some deep psychological scars that have barely begun to heal. And then John C. Riley says, He died when he hit the wall. And Robert Duvall says, He was probably dead before he hit the wall. The coroner's report showed a massive heart attack. Plus, there was a self-inflicted gunshot wound to his skull. And he was also decapitated before the car made impact to the wall. And his lungs were filled with levels of carbon and monoxide and Van Camp chili farts that would make the winds of Chernobyl smell like an Airwick air freshener. I am not responsible for this man's death. He was found in that car, hung by the neck, by his own belt from the rearview mirror. He was masturbating and then choking himself. The one thing your father loved more than anything was autoerotic asphyxiation as fast as he could go. He called it auto-autoerotic asphyxiation. It was a very unique fetish, and I am not responsible for his death because that man could not drive with one hand and pound his pud with the other. It was his lifetime passion to (laughs) ejaculate and break the sound barrier. I had a guy one time ask me if I ever jerked off when I was driving a car, and I was just shocked. Like, what in the fuck are you talking about? And the guy looked at me like, you're the weird one. And I was like, I don't think I am, man. In fact, you know, I don't even want to get more data on this particular scenario. I would have stopped the conversation. You know, I got a long commute. Outside this 18-wheeler, some cops pull up, and they throw on their blues, and they pull the big rig over, and they're like, everybody out. And then Tom Cruise and Robert Duvall and the rest of the racing team, they all exit the trailer, and the cops immediately say you're under arrest which first of all miranda you got to read them their rights so clue number one something's up clue number two these cop uniforms that they're wearing have badges on their upper left arm that say charlotte city zoo ranger little tip off (laughs) yeah clue number three Uh is that one of them is lilani sorrell who we last saw as roxy the lesbian in our episode on basic instinct a classic yeah, pick six it, that movies was a episode. It turns out, Chad, this is in fact an elaborate prostitute scenario yes. <laughs> where she is like grabbing his junk and is like, oh, I think I found a concealed weapon. Get it, everyone? His dick is so big and bulbous in this scene. It's broccoli as Spinal Tap pointed, or no, I'm sorry, Bad News is who brought broccoli to the table. It looks like a flashlight in his pants. Yeah, so she kind of rips off her top and is like, 
So are you man enough to use it? And then comes the extra creepy line, Chad, where she says, Harry and the boys thought you'd like me. Like she's some sexy Twinkie that they got him at the roadside stand. It's just gross. Let's assume that she's a prostitute and these are real highway patrol officers. They dressed up a whore in a official highway patrol uniform and just all went along in this to get a NASCAR driver laid. What the hell is going on in this movie, Bo? We're in North Carolina. I would expect this if they were in Arkansas. Because, you know, this movie was made in the 90s Mm -hmm. and Bill Clinton was president. Mm -hmm. I get it. What's in the news, Bo? What's in the news? In this (laughs) podcast, if anything, it is topical. Might as well have been a Paula Jones babe. (laughs) That's my (laughs) shitty Dennis Miller. Now it's time to get to some real action, Chad. It's the Firecracker 400. That's right. This race was later named the Pepsi Firecracker 400. Then it became the Pepsi 400. And now it is the Coke Zero 400. Coke Zero. No sugar, no fooling. Coke Zero. Proud sponsor of Pick 6 Movies. Oh, if only. Oh, I'd love some of that sweet, sweet Coke money. So it turns out, like, again, our... (laughs) expository uh announcer is like hey by the way tom cruise has won five of the last six races and he's the hottest young rookie in nascar history his relationship with his crew chief seems to be improving and everything looks like it's set for cold trickle to run unobstructed to daytona but how are you the hottest young rookie in nascar history is that even a thing by what what measure is that i think he has a crush on him i mean look at that square jaw Look at those bushy eyebrows. Maybe the announcer moonlights for Us Magazine as the editor of the Hot or Not and Celebrities, They're Just Like Us sections. Guess who got seen at a recent pit event? It's Cold Trickle, showing off a little bulge. As Tom Cruise makes his way to his car, he's signing autographs for adoring fans. And Bo, did you recognize the young woman to whom Tom Cruise gives his autograph? Uh, I did not. It is none other than Alexandra Balahaustitz, who was the DMV window clerk in Gone in 60 Seconds. How could I forget? I knew I knew you. Yeah. I knew I knew you. I I didn't know, but I knew. So the only two racers that we know in this particular race are Tom Cruise and Rowdy. And they're banging each other and Rowdy's bumper gets loose. And Tom Cruise says he's going to pass Rowdy on the high side after Rowdy gives him the signal to pass. And as Tom Cruise passes Rowdy, Rowdy just smashes into him. Damn you, Rowdy. And the soundtrack in this movie is pretty awesome. In this particular scene, it's all like drum machines and like whammy bar guitar solos. You get this... Right, because you're trying to make traffic exciting. And then as the cars go around the track, there is a crash on turn four. Remember the one that killed John C. Riley's pappy last year? Mm-hmm. R.I.P. Pappy C. Riley. Rowdy and Tom Cruise, they go through the turn of a crash that's happened on turn four. And as they go through, both of them kind of like crash and flip over. And it's pretty magnificent. Metal and cars go flying everywhere. It is an unbelievably well shot crash of cars just flying into shreds like they were made out of paper it's a good crash uh immediately they're like oh we're airlifting tom cruise out of here we're getting him to a hospital because i don't know if you guys saw the car get (laughs) flipped over about 27 times there but then the movie becomes an episode of er 
yeah, for a second, like Nicole Kidman pops up briefly. Rowdy's there at the hospital too. Uh, Tom Cruise is freaking out. He's like, hey, there's something wrong with my eyes. I can't see. Then the next thing we know, he's being shoved into uh, an MRI machine. Uh-huh. And Nicole Kidman, who is the doctor. Dr. Nicole yeah, Kidman. The doctor in this scene. She says, hey, he's got a swollen brain. And what that means is he's got this concussion. His brain is uh, causing his blindness because of the pressure. Duvall is there. And there's kind of a missed opportunity there because she's kind of explaining to Robert Duvall what's going on with him. She's like, hey, did he have, hey, did he have a... And I can't do an uh, Australian accent, really. Just do your Paul Hogan. So, did he have a big scratch on the back of his helmet? That's it. Perfect. Yeah. The key is tangerine. That's the word. <laughs> did he have a scratch on the front or on the back? Duvall's like, uh, well, it's on the back. And she's like, all right, great. That's real cricket. Or whatever they say. Then Tom Cruise and the MRI machine just keep saying like, hey, will somebody tell me something? I'm stuck in this machine. There's usually yeah. a guy in my ear when I'm racing. I'm blind over here. Right. I can't see. It would be a great moment to have Duvall talk to him in this moment. Uh, and it just never happens. It's like, oh, uh-huh. that seems like such a missed opportunity. And meanwhile, Nicole Kidman is like, we're going to take care of him. Uh, AKA just take him out back, put him down and part him out. I would assume <laughs> put his organs to good use yeah. for people that are better than him. I mean, throw the eyeballs there, mate, but everything else seems to be all right. Got to look at his kidney. It was quite good. So after uh, he's let loose of the MRI machine, Tom Cruise wakes up in the hospital where he blearily sees Robert Duvall sleeping in a nearby chair. And he's a bit whacked out on the pain meds, but he's like, hey, what happened, Robert Duvall? And uh, he's like, hey, I did what I was supposed to. I drove right through the accident. And Duvall is like, look, Cole, car came out of nowhere, knocked you in a rowdy. One of those things that just never happens. And it happened. But I'm going to go get the doctor. It's crazy, Tom Cruise. If if only there was video footage of the race to verify my theory of what happened. But until technology, some sort of televised video catches up to us, we're just going to be stuck with my vague memories of what happened on the racetrack about a mile and a half away from where I was sitting when it all happened. Just believe me, it's close enough to the truth that you can just bank on that. I'll tell you, I would get deeper into it, but Cousin Eddie came to me right after the whole thing happened and he said there would be no investigation so we're just gonna have to let it go Cole. you squash two investigations you get one free in the future so i can kill someone else down the line and i'm not going to be investigated i'll tell you i'm doing a bit of a victory lap here cole patting myself on the back for keeping that Mm -hmm. list of enemies it was a perfect call you know what i'm saying to you and there were no witnesses, and I am completely exonerated. I had the support of a lot of people in that room, Cole. At least 51 people in that room agreed with me. I'll be honest, I was a bit surprised when uh, one of the boys uh, from the crew uh, thought I could count on him, stood up, and, and Cole, he said it was an appalling accident. But it didn't matter none, and now I have kicked him the fuck out of the crew, Cole. That's... <laughs> That is the Robert Duvall promise. You you cross me, I will burn you. <laughs> it's about one or two days since Tom Cruise was almost killed in this car crash. So Robert Duvall, of course, goes outside and invites all of Tom Cruise's pit crew of dumbasses and ne'er-do-wells <laughs> to come in and say hello. Yeah. 
And John C. Riley comes ambling in wearing sunglasses. Remember, John C. Riley's pappy was killed one year ago on that very same track in that very same turn in Daytona. And Riley comes in like pretending like he's a blind person with the cane and everything, just making goofball jokes about this. And I'm like, dude, you've clearly got some repressed emotional issues you need to deal with. When this shit uncorks sometime in the future, whoa, Nelly, whoever's in the room better bar the door. It's going to be a mess. Much like Patch Adams, Chad, he believes laughter is the best medicine. So what you don't see in the frame is that he also has clown shoes on. It's not the best medicine. Penicillin. <laughs> that's at the top of my list. Yeah, I've always found medicine to be the best medicine, but that's me. As a recent fan of Percocet. About this time, Dr. Nicole Kidman, she comes walking in and she's like, good day, mate. We're going to take a look at you and see if we can get you all tip top ship shape. And then Tom Cruise thinks that Dr. Nicole Kidman is another one of those hired prostitutes for him to have sex with. Uh, so much so that he takes Dr. Nicole Kidman's hand and puts it on his dick. And rightfully so, Dr. Nicole Kidman, a trained medical professional and trauma physician, she leaves the room disgusted yeah. and all of these redneck jackasses they just hee-haw and bray and knee slap and rib each other as they're drinking their coca-cola because tom cruise was a real dumbass yeah boy cole your sexual assault is a hoot as they cackle at him we leave those uh roustabouts to find rowdy who uh -huh. is being wheeled out the hospital Yep. And he's complaining about being stuck in the wheelchair. He's like, I, I have no pants. I can get to the door. Tom Cruise appears beside him as an orderly is pushing his wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And Tom Cruise uh, is like, hey, can you speed up a little bit? I don't want to be beside this guy. He and Rowdy start to wheel themselves and end up racing through the hallways as they get away from these orderlies. And they're crashing into each other and playing a lot of murder ball. And then they turn a corner and there's nicole kidman uh, dr nicole dr kidman. nicole kidman who's just like oh you dumbasses come this way <laughs> she's just disgusted by both of them which is pretty fun as well she should yeah, be they're awful so there's this big meeting where <laughs> it's rowdy and tom cruise and some some nascar bigwigs and nicole kidman is telling them all like oh they suffered no serious cranial injury this NASCAR official who we've never met before says, give it to me in English, doc. Did they mess up their squash or not? And if I'm Dr. Nicole Kidman and someone asked me that, I would be so filled with rage and contempt that this walking sack of stupid <laughs> expects me to dignify that question with anything close to a medically informed answer. Yeah. I would just, I would look at the guy and be like, get out. Yeah. Get out. That's all I would say. Get out and never come back. Because if you stay here, my Hippocratic oath to do no harm is out the window as I wrap my fingers around your neck and watch the life slowly fade from your eyes you sad excuse for a living being instead she does you know oblige she's like well all right they bruise their potato their strawberries got mixed in with their blueberries their cantaloupes are overripe they thump their melons and now they get a squishy sound 
Rowdy screams out, bullshit look! Or something like that. <laughs> and then Nicole Give is like, no, they're as good as they were before the accident, I guess. I mean, we're grading on a curve here. But she says, I'm not inclined to give them clearance uh, to drive yet. When that NASCAR guy looks at her and he's like, hey, look, sweetheart, I need a second opinion. Can we talk to your boss, who I assume is a man, an American man, who speaks English without all of that fucking crocodile hunter shit accent you got going on? And Dr. Nicole Kidman just looks at him with this level of disgust that you can only give to a man who is misogynistic, arrogantly American, and unmeasurably stupid. Not to mention that he has absent the ability to respect any one who has had four years of undergraduate training, four years of medical school, and three years of residency in emergency medicine. And Dr. Nicole Kidman looks at this ding-donging and says, I've talked with my boss. He agrees with me. And the guy's just like, mm, yeah, all right. You know what, sweetheart? We need to talk to our boys here, so why don't you ski-daddle? There's a moment where Tom Cruise like makes like he's going to apologize to her, or at least try to talk to her. But Nicole Kidman is like, hey, how about y'all go fuck yourselves then? And then just takes off. She is the most reasonable character in this whole movie until she's not. Until the very end. Right. At some point, you're just like, why are you behaving like this? Are you under some sort of a hypnotic trance? So what happens is after she takes off, our NASCAR rep, Lynn, is like, ladies and gentlemen, Fred Dalton. He just turns around like God in an easy chair. This big bulldog of a human being. Fred Thompson, that is. For, yes, I'm sorry. Fred Thompson. Uh, his name is Big John in the movie. Here's here's Big Johnny. And he starts with this colorful line. If you want to turn yourselves into a greasy spot on a country road somewhere, go right ahead. I don't give a shit and I don't think anybody else does, regardless of what they say to your face. But you two monkeys are not going to do it on my racetrack. It's pretty good. We get some real East meets West wisdom from this president of NASCAR, Fred Thompson, when he says, y'all boys ever heard of Japanese inspection? Nah. Well, when the Japs get a load of lettuce, and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I take your point, but can we do a little racistectomy on this story where we just yank that expression right out? When a couple of slants. No, nope, not better. Mm. Not your, you went in the opposite direction. How about yellows? Can I use yellows? You can't, but you can. Just continue your story. And he's like, when the yellows, they're not sure if they want to let lettuce in the country. You know what they do? They let it sit on the dock till it rots. Because lettuce is perishable. Like you two monkeys. You're like, monkeys? What? He calls them monkeys a number of times. Which again, uh, see above, read my love of monkeys, uh, plays into my wheelhouse. And he says, look, no more rubbing each other on the track. You're like, oh, where are we going with this? Here's what's going to happen. We're all going to go to dinner and you two are going to drive together. And I'm like, what is the moral of this story exactly? That he's going to let them be lettuce and monkeys and they drive? I think the implication is if they don't straighten up, he's just going to sit on their request to return to the sport until it doesn't matter anymore. I guess so. We get a really weird scene. It's great, but it's kind of a weird scene where Robert Duvall then goes to apologize to Dr. Nicole Kidman on behalf of Tom Cruise for the dick grab. Hey, Dr. Nicole Kidman, I'm sorry about Tom Cruise putting your hand on his pecker earlier. You see, we hired a prostitute to fuck him a few weeks back, and we dressed her up like a highway patrol officer, and she cleaned his pipes 
real good. So when he saw you, <laughs> he just figured that no woman, I mean, a pretty woman anyway, could ever be a real doctor, especially one with your accent. And naturally, he assumed you were just a cheap whore that we had purchased to give him a good old-fashioned Alabama slobber knocker to get his spirits up. I mean, if you think about it, it was a, a, a kind of a compliment that right. he thought you were prostitute pretty. To be honest, it's kind of your fault for being so attractive and a doctor. It's not his fault for putting your fingers around his Johnson. And she's like, all right, fine. What the fuck do you want? And he's like, well, here's the thing. Cole needs to think that you like him because right. he is a fragile man baby. Sure, he's arrogant. He's quick to temper. He, again, put your hand on his dick. He's not very tall. He's got that squeaky voice, but he needs reassurance from you, Doc, that he's going to be okay. Then, proving why Duval is the best actor that has ever been, the scene ends with him just going, that's it. And he does this kind of head bob and a laugh and then just walks away. And you're like, what the fuck was that? And also, that was the best thing I've ever seen. That's the way to end every conversation of just when you reach the logical end, just go, that's it. And then just give a little chuckle and walk. I'm going to steal that. That's the Duvall. Yeah, it, it's kind of the Irish goodbye, but slightly more polite. Hey, can you cover Thursday afternoon for work for me? Uh, yeah, 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 that's good. And instead of following that up with a, oh, so how's your wife? Just go, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> And then you're gone. It's kind of the more intelligent version of, and that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. It's a little more folksy. It's a little friendlier. And if you do it right, if you get the head bob and the laugh just right, it makes people like you more than if you had stayed to talk. You know what doesn't make people like you more is stalking them in a parking lot, which is what happens in the next scene. Because Tom Cruise is outside waiting for Dr. Nicole Kidman to get into her car. And as she does, he comes over and he says, hey, thanks for saving my life or whatever. Hey, did you see my toothy grin? Swing. And did you also see that I'm wearing my signature black sunglasses from Risky Business? My Top Gun Ray-Bans were smashed in the car crash earlier, but I've got some on back order, and they'll be here in a couple of weeks. And by the way, speaking of Top Gun, Bo, does anyone want to see this Top Gun sequel that's coming out? I couldn't care less. Who's the audience for this movie? But I gotta say, man, every time I've seen this trailer play in a theater... Uh, which is a couple of times at this point. People go nuts for it, man. People are clapping and getting all squirmy in their seats and whatnot. Like, people are in for this movie. It's going to do well. And it defies reason. If I wanted to watch that Top Gun sequel, I'd just turn over to ESPN 5 and watch Men's College Volleyball Championships. Yummy. I would watch Iron Eagle 2 and 3 back to back. Dr. Nicole Kidman all but tells Tom Cruise to piss off. And then Tom Cruise says, Dr. Nicole Kidman, can I take you out on a date? And Dr. Nicole Kidman says, no. And she drives off. Again, because she's the most sensible character in this whole movie. Again, it's just like, hey, how about you go fuck yourself again? And, <laughs> and takes off. Uh, meanwhile, in the background, Rowdy strolls by holding the keys to their the car that they got to take to this dinner. They get in the car, but Rowdy stops by the side of the road and he's like, look, there is no way that you're going to let me drive and there's certainly no way I'm going to let you drive. So I've got a solution. And Tom yeah. Cruise is like, so what are we going to do? They pull over to Patriot Car Rental. Uh-huh. Patriot Car Rental. Rent like an American. Rent a Patriot. 
Patriot Car Rental, proud sponsor of Pick 6 Movies. (laughs) Tom Cruise looks at the Patriot, proud sponsor of Pick 6 Movies uh, sign, and he goes, absolutely. The next scene is them just racing in these rental cars. Like, racing in the sense that they are just playing Burnout Paradise with each other in real life. They're whipping around Daytona, and they're smashing these cars up. And they end up on the beach and they're in the city streets. And this is all intercut with shots of Cousin Eddie and that squash the melon head guy and the president of NASCAR, Fred Thompson, anxiously waiting for Tom Cruise and Rowdy to show up. And it just sort of cuts back and forth. And then they show up and they're like, yeah, we're here. And then it's just like in that scene. It doesn't do anything other than maybe entertain you because you're a dum-dum. Well, the, the idea is that they're suddenly cool with each other because... When they sit down, uh, Fred Thompson is like, why were you late? And Tom Cruise is like, we had car trouble, sir. And Rowdy is is like, yeah, yeah, we had car trouble, right? It was uh, the radiator, right, Tom Cruise? And he's like, oh, yeah, the radiator. And so they're thick as thieves (laughs) all of a sudden, and they're friends. Here's a, a, a fun scene I like for the direction of it. It's Tom Cruise on the phone. He, he's now phone stalking Dr. Nicole Kidman. So he's, he's using the power of his celebrity to get the home address. The home address shed of Nicole Kidman's character. Bo, can you imagine the lawsuit that would come after a chief of staff at a hospital handed out the home address of a female medical doctor to a would-be suitor slash murderer slash corpse defiler slash patient he is a patient of this hospital and it's just like hey i was thinking of fucking the doctor that saved my life can i have her home address that's his pitch and somebody because they're a racing fan was like you know what he makes some good points he probably should have the home address of a doctor who's who i value as an employee one presumes duval it meanwhile is introducing Russ Wheeler in the background, uh, who is uh, Carrie Elway's character. He's the bigger asshole because that's what you do in movies. If you have an asshole that is your hero, you need to create an even bigger asshole to make your hero asshole look more heroic and noble. Yes, and Carrie Elway's is doing the exact opposite of whatever a subtle performance would be. Mm-hmm. Where the the moment he sees Tom Cruise, he stares at him with the dead eyes of a serial killer. It's so along came a spy. <laughs> yeah, where he's just like, hello, it's good to meet you. I look forward to meeting you on the field of battle, a.k.a. the racetrack. Of course, for, for now we're allies. <laughs> a matter of convenience. Meanwhile, uh, Robert Duvall realizes that Tom Cruise is on the phone using his celebrity to get the home address of Dr. Nicole Kidman, and he just laughs at him. oh boys will be boys and remember that you have a race to run so if you were going to stalk and and kill this woman uh you you got a small window of time to bury that body back in daytona we see dr nicole kidman arrive at her apartment which is now filled with flowers and balloons and stuffed animals one of which is an oversized kangaroo in a t-shirt you know because she's australian I don't think he knew that. I think that was that was happenstance. 
<laughs> I don't. Dr. Nicole Kidman, she finds this all oh, so charming because this is a movie and the internet didn't exist back then. So Tom Cruise invites Dr. Nicole Kidman to go to North Carolina where she can examine both Tom Cruise and Rowdy at the same time because Rowdy lives in North Carolina. So they go to some racetrack and Rowdy's a no-show. So Dr. Nicole Kidman, she does her examination on Tom Cruise that's all done in this room that's kind of in the dark. And then Tom Cruise keeps staring at Nicole Kidman because he's a stalker. And then Tom Cruise starts flirting with Dr. Nicole Kidman. And as the examination goes on, Tom Cruise, it kind of ends with him sort of grabbing Nicole Kidman and trying to kiss her. And then it eventually leads to Tom Cruise just grabbing her by the back of the neck. And he succeeds in kissing her because he's a creep. And since he's Tom Cruise, after all, Tom Cruise gets his normal clothes put back on and he walks out of the examination room and Dr. Nicole Kidman is outside waiting in the hallway where she returns his kisses and slams him into the wall and they start smooching all movie style with lots of smack smacks and pops and slobbers. Yeah. And I like that she is clearly taller than him and also the aggressor in this scene, which leads to another sex term, Chad, pegging. And that's what happened to Tom Cruise in this scene. (laughs) We didn't see it, but it happened. In the next scene, these two are in a bedroom and Tom Cruise and Dr. Nicole Kidman are naked but covered up in the sheets so we don't see any of their R-rated naughty bits. And they're fresh from fucking and here Tom Cruise lays out the finale of the movie using sweet and low packets on Dr. Nicole Kidman's thigh. Sweet and low in the little pink packet. Chemicals never tasted so good. Sweet and low, proud sponsor of Pick 6 Movies. Go to sweetandlow.com forward slash pick six. Also, don't go to that website. Tom Cruise says, here's something Harry and I've been working on. It's called drafting. No, you didn't. This has been around forever. Yeah. Hey, (laughs) hey, didn't you hear the introduction to this episode? That thing's been around since 1960. Tom Cruise says, we came up with it. Totally original idea. No one else has ever thought of this before. Truth be told, I came up with it. I just let Harry, you know, say he helped out, but it was me. It's all my idea. I come up with the best ideas. I come up with drafting. I came up with NASCAR. The wheel, that was me. I came up with cars. I came up with the concept (laughs) of the automobile. I know a lot of people like to say that was Henry Ford, but that is not true. As Tom Cruise explains how one car can get behind another car and leverage reduce wind resistance and then slingshot around another car to zip up and win the race. And you're like, oh, this is how the movie's going to end. Got it. Yeah. So then Tom Cruise and, and Dr. Nicole Kidman, they replicate the fuck scene from Top Gun where they smooch and kiss nipple to nipple, but not so much that it's going to get an R rating. And then we cut to Tom Cruise riding his motorcycle, just like he did in Top Gun with Dr. Nicole Kidman riding bitch in the back. And they arrive at at Rowdy's farmhouse where we get to meet Rowdy's wife and then everybody goes out on the speedboat and as they're riding around Rowdy gets all dizzy and he collapses over so we head back to the farmhouse and then here Dr. Nicole Kidman finally gives Rowdy his physical and he's all fucked up from the crash and he can't stand up with his eyes closed and he just passes out on the floor and Dr. Nicole Kidman says Rowdy you must get back to Daytona to have brain surgery you know Daytona the home of the world's most advanced brain surgeons and by most advanced brain surgeons I mean most experienced wet t-shirt contest judges most girls gone wild (laughs) daytona yeah so tom cruise who has run out of the room as soon as uh rowdy got like passed out he comes back in and rowdy's like you get sick and he goes ain't that something i passed out he got sick 
candy ass. Yeah. So the scene kind of wraps up with her saying, no, really, you need surgery. And Tom Cruise is just like, I don't know, maybe he's okay. And you're just like, you little weakling. Let's re-enter Carrie Elways, who, after only two weeks of driving Tom Cruise's car, he's now the darling of NASCAR, and he's got his own car being sponsored by Hardee's. Hardee's. Carl's Jr. of the East. Hardee's. Proud sponsor of Pick 6 Movie. And so they're watching this interview that he's doing, and the interviewer asks, like, hey, is it a conflict of interest that you have these two teams that are going to be racing against each other now? And and Cousin Eddie is like, no, no, you know, we're sponsoring that team too. And Robert Duvall then yells at the TV like an old man, but it's still awesome, where he goes, yeah, but who are you going to be rooting for come Sunday, Tim? You tell me that. And it's like, oh, God, I would love to hear Duval just yell at the TV for an afternoon. Now, what kind of legislation are you trying to pass now? You can just go to hell. Oh, this is so good. Do you want some cookies or something, Mr. Duval? I haven't had a cookie I liked in 15 years. I love all of this. We cut to the Atlanta Motor Speedway where Tom Cruise, he's back to getting behind the wheel. And during this race, he gets all scared because the last time he was in a race, you know, he saw the face of God at 140 miles an hour. And Kerry Elways comes up behind him and kind of smacks into Tom Cruise. And then Tom Cruise purposefully blows out his engine. Back in the garage, Tom Cruise calls up Dr. Nicole Kidman and he says, We've got to get Rowdy back in here. The longer he waits, the more danger he's going to be in, especially as it relates to his brain. And then Cousin Eddie shows up and Robert Duvall says, look, Cousin Eddie, you are an asshole for having two drivers on your team. And then at this point, we cut to another race somewhere. And this time we see Dr. Nicole Kidman and she's down in the pit with Robert Duvall while Tom Cruise is racing around in a circle. So Carrie Elways, being our bigger asshole, he pulls into the pit and he hits Tom Cruise's car during this race. And not only that, he parks his car in such an angled stud parking kind of way that it prevents Tom Cruise from being able to pull out of the pit to maintain his position. And we're sort of solidifying that Carrie Elways is a real asshole and he is our new movie villain since our old movie villain is now the hero's best friend. Yes. Well, I was kind of expecting Carrie Elways to pop his collar and then sort of announce that he has one of those ass whole movie names like chet or chaz or chad right or like i'm going to promote veganism on my car now yeah you know like something that would be reprehensible i i've sold everything to japan yeah he is a very stereotypical movie villain and there's a real good like late 80s 90s villain move later that we'll get to but with all the asshole behavior it ends up where russ wins carrie always wins robert duvall calls it low down shit ass racing and which is fucking great tom cruise pits and he's like i need my tires changed and they're like what why and he says just change my tires so they do and then as russ is doing his victory lap Tom Cruise rolls out of the pit and just races at Russ's winning car and slams into it. And meanwhile, Cousin 80 is like, they destroyed both my cars. You're all fired. Everybody here is fired. How could that not be attempted vehicular homicide? I mean, Tom Cruise purposefully hit Carrie Elways with his car fully with the intent of doing physical, if not psychological harm to this man. Cole, I, I talked to some people. There's going to be no investigation. I told you it was b- get buy two, get one free. I'm calling him a free card. 
you're going to skate on this one. I mean, it's a shame that you didn't kill the boy, but that's, hey, it's spilt milk. It is time for us to point our eyes to the future and win in Daytona. Tom Cruise takes Dr. Nicole Kidman to the airport so she can fly back to where else? Daytona Beach, Florida. And while they're saying their goodbyes, an impatient taxi cab driver honks his horn to alert Tom Cruise that he needs to get the hell out of the way. And then the cab bumps into Tom Cruise's car. And since Tom Cruise is prone to fits of rage and anger, he reverses his car and smashes into the cab. And then this cab driver, who is most likely not licensed or even legally in the United States, he just zooms off. So Tom Cruise gives chase while Dr. Nicole Kidman is still in the car. And as Tom Cruise is chasing this cab driver, Dr. Nicole Kidman just starts screaming out, let me out of the car, let me out of the car. But Tom Cruise doesn't stop. And so Dr. Nicole Kidman, she just decides to open the door and just throw herself out onto the sidewalk. But Tom Cruise hits the brakes, they stop. And it's here that Dr. Nicole Kidman gives Tom Cruise an earful, starting with the most sensible thing that she has said in this whole film, which is, get away from me, I'm calling the police. Yeah, she's like, you shouldn't be driving any car much less a race car you're selfish crazy and scared it's about time dr nicole kidman she's like look all control is an illusion you're an asshole your friend rowdy is an asshole just gives him all of this says you know what is the worst you made me sound like a doctor you go to hell you son of a bitch and then leaves him on the side of the road jaw on his chest we should never see Dr. Nicole Kidman in this movie again. We should just assume that she went on to live a happy, fruitful life filled with love and the children she always dreamed of with Keith Urban and that she just eventually won an Academy Award for her performance in The Hours. <laughs> yeah, one would like to think so. Um, yeah, but instead, this movie needs her to just fall in love with him. But anyway. So you know what you do after you get dressed down by a woman six inches taller than you and and 100 IQ points above you, what do you do? You go to a laundromat, which is what Tom Cruise does, and as he's getting his clothes dried, he looks out the window and sees a few good old boys racing around a dirt track. We get one of those moments where he's like, that's how it used to be. Simple. You could just drive around on the road and enjoy racing. Tom Cruise then goes to Rowdy's house in whatever Carolina, and his house is full of children and, you know, just mayhem. Surprise, a bunch of crying kids. There's a TV on. There's toys everywhere. Rowdy is in his office shooting pool, and he's just gobbling Goody's headache powder to keep himself even. Goody's headache powder. It's like aspirin, only in powder form. Goody's headache powder. Proud sponsor of Pick 6 Movie. Aspirin you can snort. Tom Cruise starts off with, hey, you look like shit. Rowdy's like, hey, what are you doing here, little guy? And Tom Cruise says, I'm here to take you to the hospital. And he's like, you know, I've never gone to a hospital in my life. It'll get better. It's going to go away. And then Tom Cruise outsmarts Rowdy by going to his mantle where a bunch of uh, trophies for racing are, are, are sitting on his mantle. Tom Cruise says, hey, Rowdy, what's this big trophy for? And he says, oh, you know, it, it says right on there. And Tom Cruise says, uh-huh. You don't even remember, Rowdy. <laughs> he says, have you forgotten your name, too? Then there is one of those weird deliveries that Tom Cruise has every now and again, where he grabs this bat and Rowdy 
uh, says, what are you going to do with that? And Tom Cruise just yells out of nowhere, we're either going to Daytona to fix your head or we're going to do it right here. Wait, what does he say? We're either going to go to Daytona to fix it. How does he say it? We're either going to go to Daytona. Wait, how does he say it? We're either going to go to Daytona to fix your head or we're going to do it right here. (laughs) It's hard. It went from like a 7 to a 15. And you're just like, whoa, man. Like the conversation I think was working. So we cut to Dr. Nicole Kidman at the hospital. And she's telling Tom Cruise, like, hey, Rowdy wants to see you. And he's like, well, you know, is he okay? And she's like, yeah, for now. But she's both still assholes. And she also says he's never going to race a race car again. She doesn't say that in front of Rowdy. But then they go into the room and Rowdy asks to talk to Tom Cruise alone. And he's like, hey, so they want to drill into my head and release all this blood that's building up in my skull. You think I should do it, Tom Cruise? I don't think asking Tom Cruise for his opinion on this surgery is exactly the best second opinion one should seek when it comes to major medical decisions. <laughs> right. I'm going to ask the other smartest person I know. He's he had a magic eight ball <laughs> and he's probably going to get better advice. You should call a prayer line. They have as much medical experience, if not more. There's a chance they could have way more than Tom Cruise. But Tom Cruise is like, um, sure, I guess. Whatever the doctors say, man. (laughs) They're the experts. Because they're doctors. (laughs) Rick, they went to doctor school. I don't even know how a car works. I have to tell Harry that I think the end is greasy. So... Rowdy is like, well, if you think I should do it, I need you to run my car at Daytona so I don't lose my sponsor or whatever. And also, (laughs) I need you to finish top five and also do it for my kids. And Tom Cruise is like, oh, wow, man, this is really not a great time for me. And Rowdy is like, some reason I'm not good enough for you to race my car, Tom Cruise. And he's like, whoa, not what I was getting at, but I got you. I'll race for you, Rowdy. Tom Cruise then heads out to Robert Duvall's barn to recruit him to help out as his crew chief. And Robert Duvall sees Tom Cruise walking into the barn. And Robert Duvall is just spray painting a tractor red. And it's here that Robert Duvall delivers, in my opinion, the best line of this whole movie. Because when he sees Tom Cruise coming in, he says, can't use them, don't want them, couldn't afford them if I did. Yeah, and Tom Cruise is like, what are you talking about, old man? And he goes, race car drivers, Cole. And he says, but if you want, I can break out the moonshine and we'll tell lies and call up our women. He's so good in this movie. And this movie's so awful. There's such a love-hate with this film. This movie doesn't deserve Duval, But again, he just straps this movie to his back and carries it into okay territory. Robert Duvall is genuinely happy to see Tom Cruise. And during this protest, Robert Duvall ends the scene by saying, I'll race your ass. And he takes off running the way old men do, mm-hmm. you know, towards the exit of the barn. And it's, it's a very playful, fun scene. And we then cut to nighttime in the kitchen of this farmhouse. And Tom Cruise, again, is getting drunk with Robert Duvall. And it's here that Robert Duvall, he really commands this scene. And he tells Tom Cruise that he doesn't want to help him because Robert Duvall was somewhat responsible for John C. Riley's pappy getting killed at Daytona, where the next race is going to take place. And Robert Duvall, I guess, doesn't want to have two deaths 
on his conscience. And the whole scene with Tom Cruise and Robert Duvall in this farmhouse is pretty damn good because it's Robert Duvall and Tom Cruise dealing with their backstories and both of their fears of why they each don't want to be involved with this race, but realizing that they can sort of support one another to overcome the challenges that they've historically dealt with. So Duvall has a couple of great lines here, one of which is when he's talking about this guy, Buddy, and he says, he thought he knew about cars, which made him twice as ignorant as you, which is a really funny line. But then he he has this great moment where he talks about, you know, sort of how he sees this role in racing, where he says he loved Buddy because when I was watching Buddy, I could see what I could do by what Buddy could do with my car. Mm-hmm. Like it's Duvall delivering a really good line and it's, it's fantastic as we keep saying. And so Tom Cruise kind of ruins the moment by saying, Hey, what place was Buddy in before he hit the wall anyway? And Duvall comes at him and they scuffle a little bit more and he ends up just telling him like, you are too scared. You're never going to be able to get in a car again. And then Tom Cruise says, Hey, Harry, I need it. It's all I've got. I've got no place else to go. Then repeats the line, Harry, let me drive. I promise I won't make a fool of you. But when he delivers that line in this movie, you can't help but buy it. Oh, it's really good. It's so good. Like this scene is fantastic. The music, the lighting, the sincerity, the way that it builds up to that scene and how it echoes their first encounter in Daytona when he just says that, trust me, Harry, let me drive. I won't make a fool out of you. You're just like, oh, he's going to win the race. Yeah. And like, well, no shit, dummy. It does a nice left turn here where Duvall just turns the lights out on him and leaves. Yeah. It's kind of an unexpected resolution solution to the scene but then we cut to him talking to this new car that tom cruise is gonna raise yeah it's rowdy's mellow yellow car yeah as he's chatting to this car he's talking about how he wants the car to take care of tom cruise behind the wheel because tom cruise is kind of damaged goods and this mellow yellow car has a responsibility to ensure his safety which mellow yellow when Mountain Dew is too sophisticated for your undiscerning palate. Mellow Yellow, proud sponsor of Pick 6 movie. There's nothing mellow about that. Duval then sees under Rowdy's car a puddle of oil. Mm-hmm. And he says, this is not the kind of answer I was looking for. Yeah, so then we we cut to Daytona. Again. Again. And we've got interviews with the drivers. And this is where we get all the drivers talking about the return of Cole Trickle. And also, Carrie always bets cleanup on this scene. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, Chad. All the others are like, well, you know, I hope he gets back. And, you know, it's good to see him back on the the track. And Carrie always, like, wears John Lennon mirrored sunglasses. Like, he's the lead singer of Enough's Enough. (laughs) He couldn't look more Hollywood. Right. And he says, look, all I know is if he gets near me, I'm going to put him in the wall. That's all there is to it. And uh, also, I expect I'll mostly see him in my rear view. And you're just like, oh, man, this is not good. Like, Carrie always is a very specific performer. 
and realism is not his wheelhouse no the next scene we see tom cruise he's sitting alone and he's getting his race face on and who shows up but dr nicole kidman to give him some words of support and i gotta tell you Bo, she really needs to talk to someone this is not healthy behavior for her this scene ends with tom cruise telling her i'm afraid of being a nothing more than i'm afraid of being hurt and so i'm like that's the message of this movie put yourself in physical harm's way over being a perceived loser exactly and then he just says so walk me out to the track tall mama and out they go (laughs) the racetrack commentator comes over to tell us the audience hey there race fans carrie elways our movie's new bad guy is now top dog of big dick fast car mountain but tom cruise is not to be overlooked remember just a few short months ago he was big shit in the world of nascar racing and then Tom Cruise approaches his car and Robert Duvall says, uh, Tom Cruise, we had to change the engine in the car. And by the way, we probably got one from a mysterious stranger. And then cousin Eddie's over to the side, give him the curious, clever stink eye. And you're like, oh, so he helped him out by giving him a new engine. You know, right. Bingo. There's also kind of a <laughs> funny little detail I like in this where when you see Carrie Elways and Tom Cruise like train looks at each other, the girlfriend that Carrie Elway has is uh-huh. like real short haired and kind of model fancy yeah she looks like zool from ghostbusters a little bit but it's the kind of thing where it's like oh she's a hollywood girlfriend you know uh-huh. oh i love it so anyway tom cruise then asks dr nicole kidman so uh when i get in the car are you gonna leave and she doesn't really say anything so then he says well drive carefully dr nicole kidman and then he gives her a kiss and then gets in his car smooth operator our race starts and zoom 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 carrie elways is winning and tom cruise is running in last place (laughs) yeah yeah this is like mario kart like you can go from last to first in one lap right well robert duvall is just like uh cool what is going on out there are you all right and he doesn't say anything he just drives slow (sighs) 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 so russ wheeler aka carrie elways is in the lead and then robert duvall radios tom cruise and he's like now cole there is an accident at turn three i want you to go high i you need to punch your way through it i believe in my heart there won't be any trouble you gotta do it cole i believe it in my heart cole you can do it this is me robert duvall academy award winner you can do it cole how much would you pay for this service just once a week you get a two-minute phone call from robert duvall telling you that you can do it a thousand dollars a month but i would because the the return on that investment would be tenfold. Yeah, Chad, I I tell you, I don't know what you got going on this week, but yes, I know sir. you are going to kill it. You're the kids call it crush it. You are going to do that because yes. I believe in my heart, Chad. Yes, I believe in my heart that you are doing this for the right reasons. I I am. I'm going to do it. You sure are. With that attitude, you are just going to go out there and you are going to be king of the world. Is what you were going to do. All right. Thank you, Um, Robert Duvall. Thank you. Thank you, Robert Duvall. The check is in the mail. I will talk to you next week on Tuesday at 10 a.m. You are so welcome. I will talk to you then. A grand a month for that? Shit, you give me $5, I'll do it. (laughs) It's almost as good. 
Almost, but not quite. Not quite. So the race is like half over and then this crash happens. Yeah. And he's like, Cole, you can drive through it. You can do it. And so Tom Cruise, he just whips his way through the crash, which is a repeat of the earlier scene where he almost died. But in this scene, he makes it all the way through and he comes out the other side with a real woo. And he's like, I did it. I made it. I made it through. Chad, it's dumber than that. His line is after the woo, he just goes, I'm out of here. And then just decides again to Mario Kart from last place to second. That's how it works. <laughs> that, it's totally what happens. At one point, his accelerator gets stuck and Duvall is like, Cole, it's all over. Blow the engine. And instead he gets bumped and he spins out and he's like, so the accelerator is fine now, but the transmission screwed up. So they have to pit real fast and they're racing the pace car so that he won't lose his position. And there's a nice moment where as they get the car fixed and they're trying to get it out ahead of the pace car, because as if it passes, he's disqualified, I guess. I guess. Or whatever. I don't understand the rules entirely, but I know that they said that he had to. Then, as they're pushing the car, Cousin Eddie sends his team to go help, and somebody gives him some shit about it, and he goes, it's my engine in that car, and that's what my boys are pushing, and that's kind of a fun moment. Yeah, it's a good scene, but even when this happens, I'm thinking, isn't he in very, very, very last place? Like, he's not only in last place, he's in last place, like, three car lengths in front of the person who's in first place. But I think that's the deal with the pace car is that like, I don't know, Chad, I don't understand. Anyway, so he he hits the gas and like, you've got to be going as fast as possible so that you can win this race and end this movie. So Tom Cruise is like, hey, that sounds great. I'm going to press the gas pedal really hard. Yeah. It's like when you see people in space movies when they're like, we've got to go faster and they look like they're pushing the stick hard. You're like, why you don't need to do that? Like, it's not, (laughs) it's not going to take more effort if you're in space. Anyway, doesn't matter. You know, let's just end this. Tom Cruise wins the race. But this is a particularly stupid moment in the movie where like he's in second place. Carrie Elways is in first place. Tom Cruise is drafting behind him two times. He goes hide to pass him and Russ Wheeler like fins him off and Rob Robert Duvall is like, Cole, what in the hell are you doing? And Tom Cruise is like, don't worry, Harry. I got this. I think I got him fooled. And you're like, no, this is the most obvious ploy in the history of ploys. And so he fakes like he's going high. Russ Wheeler, a.k.a. Carrie Elwes, even says, I know this guy. He's gonna go high. Like, that line is so bad. (laughs) It is up there with, I was seduced by This Place is Magic 2 from Jurassic Park. Right. Russ Wheeler defends like uh, Tom Cruise is gonna go high again, and instead, surprise, surprise, Tom Cruise goes low and and wins the race. Just like Michelle Obama. No. Wait, no. Reverse of that. they go low we go high right she did a reverse michelle obama yes he did a reverse michelle obama also a sex term oh god that's that's where you have sex with a woman you don't respect (laughs) he wins the race uh everybody comes over the the wall of the pit to greet his car and they pull him out and he's on shoulders well i've never been this high in my life i can see my hut from here And someone from out of nowhere just throws him a Nicole Kidman. (laughs) They kiss. Yeah. Like, why is she here? But whatever. (laughs) She is slightly more useful than Angelina Jolie was in Gone in 60 Seconds, but not by much. 
Yeah, yes. She, because yes. she's at least the doctor and that matters. Angelina Jolie right. did nothing that mattered. So No, she just drank out of a gas can. Right. Then Tom Cruise realizes that Robert Duvall hasn't joined the party. And so he's like, hey, everybody, fuck off for a second. Where's my pal Harry? So he goes to find Harry, who's just kind of sitting on a wall by himself. Yeah, he's like Charlie Brown or something. Yeah. And he's like, hey, is everything okay? And Robert Duvall says, you know, you are right, Cole. There is nothing you can't do in a race car. There's a nice moment where he's like, we won, Harry. We did it. Am I going to have to carry it a victory lane now? And Duvall says, nope, nope. Uh, I think I can make it. Tell you what, I'll race your ass. And then <laughs> takes off. And the movie ends on one of those awful freeze frames with them running and grinning like idiots. But it's kind of charming. It kind of, but not really. But not really, because Tom Cruise in particular looks like he's trying to eat his own head with that grin. You do get to see the Tom Cruise sprint, which heretofore in the film had not happened yet. Right, and you get a pretty good jiggle on Robert Duvall's moves. Uh, so that's pretty sexy. And that's it. That's that's Days of Thunder. Here's the upsides, if I may chat. Sure. Let me, your honor, if, if it's the people versus Days of Thunder. My defense of this movie would be it is minus credits about an hour 43. That's pretty good. You've got one of Robert Duvall's best performances, no matter how dumb the movie around him is. And it it moves like it trucks. I, I think for a movie about a sport that I barely understand, it is a movie I can kind of watch almost any time. And I don't know what that says about me, but it's true. Yeah, it's weird. There are elements of this movie that are really, really good. But as a collective, it's just a bit of a mess. You could do like one of those YouTube super cuts that's like 30 minutes of Robert Duvall just being Robert Duvall. And it would be one of the best movies he ever saw about a guy yeah. who builds a car. And the music is really good. The soundtrack to this movie, I know earlier I sang kind of the theme song of it, mm -hmm. but I mean, it, just in the soundtrack alone, there was, you know, Tina Turner sang on this, Chicago, Elton John and Guns N' Roses. I mean, it's one of those things, it's such a throwback to this era of filmmaking where the soundtrack kind of mattered because not only did they want you to go see the movie, they wanted you to buy the soundtrack and, and sort of be a part of the whole package of the film. So it is what it is. I mean, it's a it's a Simpson, Bruckheimer, Tony Scott, Tom Cruise, Robert Duvall movie. And it it's just that. Mm -hmm. It is so, a, a, a movie you can watch and forget about immediately. Completely. It works more than it ought to. And I genuinely enjoyed doing the notes for this movie because no matter how dumb a scene is, it's guaranteed to be no more than four and a half minutes long. For our next episode... <laughs> I called an audible because originally I proposed doing a motion picture called Driven starring Sylvester Stallone and directed by Rennie Harlan, which I had never seen. And then I watched that movie and it was awful. It was worse than even our low standards of what we would want to discuss. So that movie went into the trash can. And calling up from the bullpen, a movie that I really consider for this season to be one of my three motion pictures, has made its way front and center, which is going to be episode five of this season. We are bringing you in two short weeks, Herbie Fully Loaded, starring Lindsay Lohan, Michael Keaton, and Matt Dillon himself for a return visit to Pick 6 Movie. 
We haven't seen him since Wild Things, when he was having a three-way with two 1990s super sexy actresses. And now he'll be having a three-way with a 1990s super sexy actress in a car. How do you go wrong with that? You don't, Bo. I think they call that checking under the hood. It's more of that autoerotic asphyxiation that we were talking about. Yeah, unhinging the exhaust. So as always, like, rate, review, send us an email, picksixmovies at gmail.com. We always enjoy your feedback. If you have ideas for future seasons, let us know. We're always looking for new and fresh ideas. You can find us on social media here and there. Bo, any final thoughts that you have on days of thunder other than to say for those of you looking to learn the appropriate usage of accents in general i think you should study the australian accents you've heard in this episode and that's Mm -hmm. really going to be the the launch pad to fame and success as a voice actor i completely agree do what bo said and uh polish up your accents come back and see us in two weeks time as we will be delivering a family-friendly episode of pick six movies maybe our first family-friendly episode that that hopefully will be enjoyed by young and old alike. There will be nothing family friendly about this episode. <laughs> All right. We will see you in two weeks time. Thanks everybody. <laughs>